Welcome to the Televerse, the podcast just for TV. Because it's great, we're lucky they make so many fine programs to see. Your host, Nolan Kate, like to debate the merits of all that they've seen. Comedy, genre, reality, drama, and anything that's in between. Welcome to the Televerse, less of the show. Hello and welcome to the Televerse. This is Kate Kalsik, joined as ever by Noel Kirkpatrick. Uh, Noel? Yeah. Um, 2016 can go fuck itself. It it really can, but um, yeah, it's just, it's not a good week. It's, it's a really bad week. It's a, it's a terrible really bad, week. And it started so good. It started so, so good. Um, yeah, it's, I've been super emotional. Uh, I've been, I've been just off and on, like, totally fine. And, like... We're going to recover from this. We're going to, you know, it's nothing we're going to be able to do short term, but we can get involved now and help long term. Um, and then also just randomly crying for the past few days. How have uh, you been? Also, the randomly crying. Um, Wednesday, I was basically just like a mess. Like, I was on the verge of tears like every 15 minutes or so. Um, yeah. Which was fun. Um, cried in the shower, which is also never fun when you live alone. You're just like, oh, I'm crying in the shower. This is really sad. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, <coughs> excuse me. And then it's just like various, th- anything could basically like set you off type of thing. So it's just like, I'm going to send a text to my mom thanking her for instilling good morals and ethics and these kind of political beliefs in me. And then I'm going to start crying, and then she's going to text me back and say, you're really close to Vancouver. <laughs> and I'm just like, that's not how this works. Yeah. Also, my passport is expired. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, yeah, mine is too, and I'm getting that fixed. I'm getting yeah. that fixed as soon as I possibly can, because I want to have my options. Because who well, knows what I, I mean. And isn't that lovely that that's where we're at? Well, that's the thing. It's just like, I mean, I had like... And I strongly encourage other people to do this um, because it was great. If you have, like, an Audible account, this podcast brought to you by Audible this week. (laughs) Um, Just kidding. There's no sponsorship here. But Audible has a chain of celebrities reading novels and that sort of thing. And Claire Danes reads The Handmaid's Tale. And it's fantastic. It's fabulous. I strongly recommend reading it. Well, listening to it. But, I mean, A, that book is still really starkly relevant. But the other thing is it's just, like, I'm so close to the Canadian border now that i mean the people who like fled from whatever happened in that book that set everything off is just like i would be able to help people do that now and i would help people do that now and it's one of those things where it's just like but i would need a passport to do that i need to get my passport just in case is exactly where we are is like i need a passport just in case i need to help people get across the border from really terrible laws yep that's where we are good uh sign up for health insurance now so that you can renew your health insurance if and when the Affordable Care Act uh, gets repealed. If you have any pre-existing conditions, at least you'd be able to renew your plan rather than have to reapply fresh with pre-existing conditions. Uh, if you're a woman, go get an IUD. Go get like yeah. a five to ten year IUD because who the fuck knows? Um, yeah. And it's been similar for me, too, where just seemingly random, not random, but, like, you think you're fine and something triggers a thought, which then yeah. brings up a wave of emotions. Um, I didn't work on Wednesday. I canceled my lessons. And I couldn't really afford to because 
I'm a classical musician, guys, so that means I don't have money. But I also, I have a lot of students um, of, of Indian descent. I have a lot of students who are children of immigrants who are Muslim. Um, yeah, so I, I, I didn't want to start crying during their lesson. That makes sense. I mean, yeah. Yeah. I am sure people listening to this, they just want to hear us talk about some TV shows, not think about all of this stuff that's been going on. Um, but yeah, you're talking about the handmaid's tale. Like I went to visit my family, some of my family in DC couple weeks back if you'll remember we had a shorter show it was like i hadn't seen anything because i was flying and i was editing the podcast on an airplane back it was it, my battery lasted just long enough to finish editing it was a, it was a it was a chicago o'hare miracle um but um when i was there i went to the holocaust museum and i hadn't been before i'd only i've been to dc a couple times but i you know i had never you know gone set aside the time to go to the Holocaust Museum, and I set aside some time. I didn't realize I needed to have set aside an entire day, so I only really got to see a couple of the, of the floors. My person, I have my booklet over on my shelf. My person survived. Um, so that was an encouraging way to end my, my tour of the Holocaust Museum. But um, it has made, as soon as I was in there and left, the election took on a whole new level for me um, because of President-elect President-elect Trump's rhetoric and everything about his campaign and who he has shown himself to be. Um, and that, of course, then compounded as I watched <laughs> people who follow me on Twitter will have seen. I had, like, patriotic face paint going. I made a nasty woman shirt to go vote in. Um, I was very excited. I was like on a high all beginning of this week getting, cause I was so excited for, for the election. Uh, as that slipped away, my experience at the Holocaust museum just rolled back on me because I had never realized that before the Nazis rose to power, before Hitler was appointed chancellor, Germany was one of the best countries in the world for Jews. It was one of the best places to be. You had, they had the most rights. They had, they had the most fair treatment. They were less discriminated against there than most of Europe. And that went away in nine months. Democracy fell entirely. If I, rec I mean, I, I might be slightly off in my timetable, but that's what I'm re recalling from a, like a couple weeks ago in nine months. So uh, anybody who says it can't happen here or who knows, like what I just keep thinking back to are those stories you hear about families who saw the way things were going and left and got out before. Um, and as, as a white straight, cisgender, uh, you know, upper middle class background woman. I'm incredibly privileged compared to so many people in our country. And I'm sitting here thinking, and of course I have the luxury to sit here and think because I, if I had to, I could buy a ticket 
somewhere else once I have my passport. Um, I, I, I can sit here and think, is this a time when people look back and they tell the stories? Yeah, I saw things were going. So my, my family and I left, but parts of our family didn't. And we never saw them again. That's those are the kind of conversations I'm having with myself this week. And that's why it's been, it's been a difficult few days. So I can't imagine what people of color, what LGBTQ people, um, what immigrants are experiencing this week, what people in, you know, comparative uh, religious minorities in this country are feeling. Um, but yeah, that's what it's been. So what I've kind of turned to in, in this to help me get through some of this, there have been different cultural touch points that have been helpful for me, help me process what I'm, what I've been feeling. Of course, before the results, I was all Leslie Nope in Parks and Rec. And I just have been thinking since of shows like Underground and the visual of Sam lynched on the American flag. And every time I see people talking about how this wasn't an election determined by race and the narrative starts to change. People try to say, well, the Democrats needed to reach out to the white vote. This was a, an election determined by white supremacy and people who were willing to not vote against that for various reasons. And it's like we've talked about previously on the podcast. At a certain point, if you don't include other perspectives, one of the things about your show is that your show is film the blank. If you only have men in your cast, I don't care what the setting is. At a certain point, the show is sexist because it's not interested in showing female perspective. I don't care if that's historically accurate. It can be an amazing show, but it's also a sexist show. If you only have white people in your cast, at a certain point, if you're excluding other perspectives, other narratives, it's many things, but it's also a racist show. Um, so watching the discussion around this election and the way that various, various um, sources have started to like fill time by trying, by presenting this as a particularly complex or, nuanced shading all these shadings of reasons of things that of what's happened for me it's very simple for me it's incredibly simple white people in general if you look at the stats if you look at the exit polls white people said these list of priorities for me are more important than equal rights for people of color for women it's more important these other things are more important to me than not voting in a sexual assaulter, someone who commits sexual assault, somebody who says we should deport, that, who when asked, how would your Muslim ID card plan be different than the yellow stars on Jews, says, you tell me. 
which is what Trump said to that question. And that what I realized is that I've been over the past few days, I've been mourning my faith in humanity. And it's wonderful that I've been able to hold it so long. So yeah, that's where I'm at. I've been monologuing for a while. <laughs> what have you been watching these past few days? Is anything, have any like touch points been coming up for you? Any like things been sticking in your head? No, well, I mean, I kept going to The Handmaid's Tale, as I mentioned earlier, um, in part because, I mean, like I said, it's still starkly, painfully, painfully relevant. Um, even the um, bookend sections with the academic conference, um, still a little too real to what academic conferences still are today, um, <laughs> and would, would be in the future, no doubt. Um, but a lot of it just speaks to the type of places where we lose information um and like a lot like the bookend sections for that book where it's at the academic conference and they're discussing the fact that they're not quite sure what some of this stuff means they don't have context for it they had to dig up a tape player because no one had tape players by that point within the epilogue anymore and i mean you recalling like the holocaust museum and uh, the lead up to um, Hitler's ascension within Germany and this kind of stuff. I mean, you think about that and then you think about like the context of the fact that there are increasingly few people who are alive that directly remember that, that directly remember like World War II in a lot of ways um, or that and that there are people that and that these people aren't really in prominent positions anymore. Um, so this idea of the kind of sweeping rhetoric of Trump's, regardless of whether or not he believes in it or not, because he's, he's, he strikes me as someone who legitimately does not have positions. He's mm -hmm. just, he, he latched onto a sort of rhetoric to gain attention and to find a voting base type of thing. Um, but as for beliefs, I don't really think he has any. And if he does, they're not grounded in any particular type of ideology um, beyond I just wanted to be here. Except if you look at any of the pictures of him on Capitol Hill from like two days ago, he looks miserable. Um, because this is something where he doesn't get to go in front of chanting crowds anymore or to appeal to people and that sort of thing. He doesn't get to be the center of attention anymore unless he schedules press events every day. And then it's talking to reporters, and no one's going to want to talk to reporters every day. Mm -hmm. um, so I just think about, like, how... I don't think about, like, media touchstones in this sense, and more so in the sense of what, do, what can we do, what can I do to remedy this situation in certain ways. Like, I mean... I've been taught, I was talking with other people and it was basically like one of the conversations that came up was, well, why didn't I do more type of thing? And it's just like, well, you voted. I mean, that's like the bare minimum anyone can do. And still like something like 45% of eligible Americans didn't vote. Yeah. 49. 49. Roughly. Okay. Yeah. So there you go. So half of eligible Americans just went, nah, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. Yeah. And um, which in and of itself is speaks to a kind of latency that our country has 
with regards to our democracy and how well it's chugged along, quite frankly, that you're so sure of these institutions and so sure of other people's opinions and ability to make decisions that you're just like, uh, I can stay home that day. Or I can't, or, and in a lot of these cases, it's I can't carve out time to go vote because for whatever reason, voting is still on a Tuesday and not a national holiday because of farmers in the 18th, in the 18th century. Yeah. And, um, so it was like, well, I didn't give any money this year um, and because it was just like, she doesn't need it. Um, and so it was just one of those things where like, I didn't really go to like a call center because I live in Washington state where it's just like, they called Washington state immediately after the polls closed here because there was no reason to wait. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. We were doing mini shots for every Hillary state called. So by that point of the night, Pacific Northwest, I I really needed those three shots. (laughs) Right. Yeah. And so it was one of those things where I just, I haven't like looked at television or media for comfort, um, basically until like yesterday. Mm-hmm. Like I watched a bunch of TV yesterday and I stayed up, stayed up to watch Superstore to tweet about it with a friend of mine who's in Tacoma, basically. Uh, it's like the reason I stayed up. And because I knew she watched it, we were going to tweet about it, so it was good. It felt really great to do something not... <clears throat> charged in a political sense mm-hmm. but it was also just one of those things where i was just like i don't really want to watch anything i don't really want to do anything except in a very weird not something i could do in real life type of thing but i was just like i'm gonna stay play some star wars and i ended up like shooting stormtroopers for two hours <laughs> and it was just like oh this is this isn't okay because that's what nazis and stormtroopers and no this is this is weird. I'm going to stop playing. And I haven't played since because I was just like, this is, this is weird and stirring up things type of, type of an issue. And so it was more so about like, well, how do I navigate going forward and figure out like, what can I do to volunteer? Where can I volunteer? Where would my services be most valuable? Where would my time be most valuable? Um, What kind of stuff am I comfortable doing? Like, I mean, going door to door is not something I would be willing to do just because I'm bad at talking to people for the most part, let alone talking to them in person or on the phone. Um, But it's just like, well, then email governor, representative, um, senator, and get that out of the way and do that. And then just like figure out a way to be more actively involved. But also just like the other thing was just, and I mean, you and I talked about this a little bit like off the recording was figure out what to do to like like self-care type of thing so like i didn't look at social media at all for like a day and a half uh, except to like check direct messages on twitter because that was my only way of talking to one other person but mainly it was like talking to people was like how i like tried to like figure my navigate my way out of this because like i know that you had like an election party with your sister that night and whomever else was there which is really great and like you had someone like there present yeah whereas i was basically just yelling at judy woodruff on pbs and begging my cat to stay next to me because i was just watching all of this happen alone in a dark room and like 
freaking out. Like, the one person, like, I tried to reach out to is just like, well, I'm terrified, but it'll be okay. And I just went, I can't talk to you right now. Yeah. <laughs> because, like, to your point about, like, your status as a human being, like, Trump's election affects me exactly 0%. As a straight white guy who occasionally gets mistaken for being Jewish. <laughs> um, like, his election affects me 0%. And in, if anything, I may end up benefiting in some passive way. The only thing that hurts me is if he, like, rubber stamps, like, Paul Ryan's better way stuff. Because that tax program is absurd and ridiculous. And I don't make enough money to not be negatively impacted by that. But, like, this election, like, this rhetoric and everything doesn't harm me, doesn't hurt me, doesn't do any ill effect towards me beyond make me look like a horrible human being to everyone else in the world, mm -hmm. which is not something I'm willing to tolerate. And so it's just like, well, I need to figure out something else to do type of thing because I don't want to be someone who's mistaken or viewed as letting this just go by without trying to change something. And mainly, like, my approach to this so far is just, like, listening and tweeting Joe Biden is really mm -hmm. angry about the election gifts uh, memes because those are fantastic. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. But it's, like, there's only so much I can do right now type of thing in my particular, like, time, health, and position. Yeah. But I still need to be able to do something. I still need to be able to do something because what I realized really quickly when I was crying in the shower on Wednesday was that I wasn't upset for me personally. I wasn't upset about what, how this election impacted me, but I was just scared and horrified about what it, A, meant on just a very broad level of what I think about this country as someone who generally rejects ideas of patriotism and nationalism as being very slippery slopes to very bad things. And um, so I've always been very adamant about not even really wanting to celebrate the 4th of July um, because of just the sense of nationalism that that can bring out in people. And I've never really felt that was particularly productive. I'm maybe too globalist for other people <laughs> in that regard. Um, as someone who's always just like, why we should be paying our UN dues. Why aren't we? <laughs> and, but then the other thing was, is like, and like to my friends, to my friend's point about like, this is going to be fine. It's just like, well, yeah, for you, it's going to be fine. For me, it's going to be fine. For lots of other people, it's not going to be fine. And that's what I'm upset about. That's what I'm crying in the shower about is that there are people who are just now waking up going, do we get to stay in the country? Do I have health insurance? Do I have access to abortions? As is my right to have these things. And that's where I'm crying about. That's what I'm upset about. And that's what I'm fearful about is that these are people that I know and care about. And these are people who I do not know and have never met before that now have to face a massive amount of uncertainty. And that's not okay because... 56% of white people and 65, 80% of white people and another gender demographic went, yeah, you know what? Poverty isn't something that we're okay with as long as it doesn't affect us. But if it affects other people, who gives a shit? And we're, we're just like, uh, well, 
I, I don't really, I'm not going to have an abortion because my religion says I'm not going to and I'm in a station where I can just kind of deal with it if I don't have one. And just all this stuff. And it's just like, but that's not how the rest of this works. <laughs> mm-hmm. And that's not how this, that's not how this system works. This is how this system works in that we have elections and that sometimes this kind of shit happens. But this isn't how this should work for other people in which we're going to have significant laws overturned that have benefited millions of people and that have protected millions of people and have allowed millions of people to make choices for themselves as opposed to going, yeah, well, you know, electroshock therapy for conversion for gays is a perfectly legitimate way of treating that. And, you know, abortions, meh, not a really a thing because late-term abortions don't, A, happen, but B, we're going to scare you because they do. And it's just, these are things that I'm scared about on the behalf of other people and don't want to see happen. And so figuring out what I need to do to, to make sure that these things don't happen or if they do happen, there are enough safeguards in place for people in some way, shape, or form that they can stay here or that they can make choices for themselves or that they can have the right to vote wherever they want to vote, basically, and that state legislatures don't go, eh, maybe we just close 427 voting precincts. That'll be fine. Who cares? That That isn't something that's okay. That's not something I want representing me as... A human being, let alone me as an American. And so that's basically where I've been. <laughs> mm-hmm. And yeah. this very stream of consciousness, James Joycean type of monologue I just delivered. And that I just need to figure out a way to do that. And whether it was passively figuring it out by playing video games or passively figuring out by watching some TV that and then talking about it with someone else who's a little more politically tapped in than I am. And then making arrangements to go to a meeting um, next weekend in Seattle and just trying to figure out what the next step is and what I can do. And that's basically where I've been. I haven't, I can't turn to anything really because Mm -hmm. for me, some of this is just not stuff I can look at and go, this is stuff I'd like to avoid, but it's stuff that I'm very, I'm wanting to make sure that I can have some sort of an impact. And that's basically where I am. And I know that you're thinking about that same thing because yeah. we talked about it a little bit yesterday and we're talking about it a little bit more today. And that's basically where we both are. And I'm really happy that we're both there and trying to figure out something. Yeah. And yeah, I'm going to stop talking. <laughs> you know what I have no fucking time for? People telling me, telling me it's going to be okay and we'll get through it. I have, I have no time for that because you know who's not saying that? People of color, LGBTQ people, minorities, uh, religious minorities, they're not saying it's going to be okay. And we're going to have, we have Donald Trump in the presidency and we have no idea what he will do. Hopefully it won't be as bad as it could be because it could be horrible. It could be the, 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 the loss of decades of what it has meant to be American. Hopefully it won't be that, but there's no proof either way that it, that it will be. We will have a Republican party in control of the Senate and the house who have already shown that they have no interest in standing up to 
Donald Trump and to the the white nationalism and white supremacy that he represents and that he courted for his campaign. Um, and we're going to have Trump's choices on the Supreme Court. We're going to have an EPA director who doesn't believe in climate change. We're potentially going to have an interior secretary from an oil company, which is a great idea. Yeah. <laughs> or it's and, going to be Sarah Palin. Yeah, head of, <laughs> of um, uh, the, the Department of Health who believes in creationism. And uh, a secretary of state who said last year that we should bring back the House on American Activities Committee. So I don't have any time for people telling me it's going to be okay. Or as the, there's a tweet going around on Twitter that, you know, we got through Reagan. We'll get through this because as so many have pointed out, a lot of people didn't get through Reagan. A lot of people did not survive the Reagan administration. Um, And, and it's complete ignoring of the AIDS crisis because we don't, they didn't care about gay people. Enough, to, at least enough to you know do anything about it, about AIDS or give it any funding or even acknowledge it existed. So, instead, I've been focusing on self care. I've been focusing on you know I watched Elementary because I needed to turn my brain off, um, and just watch fall into the soothing rhythms of a procedural. Uh, I've my my sister's been playing her ukulele. A lot of Steven Universe songs. Very glad it's back next week we need that Rebecca sugar love. <laughs> um, and I've been looking at what I can do. Like you said, where I can volunteer, where I can make a difference because on a national level, level, I can't on a governmental level. I can't not, you know, not until the next vote. And you better goddamn believe I will be there with bells with my nasty woman shirt on ready to vote. The first opportunity I get, um, but in the meanwhile, I can volunteer. I can pare down my budget and look for extra places that I can find cash to donate. And what uh, that does mean some things for the podcast. Because right now, for me personally, it takes a solid two days of my week to watch all the stuff we talk about on the podcast. And this is listeners giving you a peek behind the curtain. But to watch all the shows that I watch on a given week for the podcast... Um, and then record with Noel and then edit the podcast and then upload it and put it up. That's at least two days of my life every week. And I cannot afford that. That's been a luxury. It's been wonderful that I haven't felt that I've felt so in my bubble of privilege, uh, so much faith in my institutions that I didn't think I needed to do more than vote. I didn't think I needed to engage in awkward or difficult conversations with some of my extended family that ignorance has been wiped away and I need to put time into volunteering. So we will be shaking up the format somewhat on the podcast. Noel's being very understanding uh, about this um, and supportive. We were trying to figure it out together. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, so we'll be, we'll be trying out different things. Uh, certainly uh, I, I'm going to be giving up my, it's been how many years now? Five years of the, of the televerse where I've watched every new pilot found a network and um, a lot of the ones on cable trying to have broad coverage of everything, trying to catch every Netflix show, every Amazon show for at least part of the season. I can't do that anymore. And nobody was asking me to, but myself. 
Um, so instead of me putting this ridiculous ideal of being the televerse being a place where listeners can get a comprehensive view of what TV is right now, um, which is absurd. Every other podcast gave up on that at least a year ago. Um, we're going to focus. Websites gave up, gave up on it this year. So you're, yeah, we're still ahead of the curve. We're ahead of the curve. <laughs> um, we're going to be focusing on shows that we think are important on shows that bring us joy and, and shows that frustrate us and on what makes sense so that if things get anywhere near as bad as they could, as they will, let's be honest, as they will for a lot of people, I can look back, we can look back on the time that it's, you know, that wasn't working, that you weren't working, that we didn't have to spend to, you know, pay our rent and uh, get food and get health insurance <laughs> um, and be be proud of where it went. And some of that is the happiness and the joy uh, of the doing this podcast and doing it with you, Noel, and, and interacting with our listeners and engaging with so much great culture and art and trying to share and uplift voices that we respect that we think are underrepresented that we think need to be more discussed um, but some of that needs for me and I'm, I'm guessing also for you needs to be volunteering at Planned Parenthood or going down to uh, you know see who needs help at, at a local soup kitchen or or finding out ways that you know just whatever whatever you personally believe in finding out ways that you can help with that issue. So we'll see what, how that, how that shapes the podcast, but I think it'll be good. I think it'll be, I think it'll focus us. I think it'll add uh, urgency to what we're talking about. Um, yeah. And also my friends won't yell at me for having a podcast that's longer than the Godfather. Well, there's that, you know, <laughs> and we say this normally our 10 minute top of show is going on 35 right now but i don't know well you should have cut me off a lot sooner (laughs) yeah i can see the squiggles this is all my fault this is not your fault Uh, as 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 usual um this week on on the podcast i i'm astonished if anybody got all the way to the end of the opening of the show here before just skipping to the next track to the next uh, Jokes to our on week you. TV. She skipped the. She divided the opening into two tracks. Ha, ha. Oh, ha, ha. Ha, I didn't do that, but um, maybe I should. Um, but this week uh, at the DVD shelf, we are very excited to have back with us Zach Hanlon from the AV Club talking about black books because we need a stupid hangout comedy right now, right? Oh, God, I'm still really upset. I can't drink wine. Stupid yeah, painkillers. Yeah, well, see, but Ugh. you do get the painkillers though, so I feel like yeah, but they don't do anything. Oh, they just they kind take of... the pain away, but they don't do anything else. <laughs> well, if you're going to be responsible and healthy about how you use them, I suppose. Yes, because yes. I, it's a pain to go get refills. Yeah, yeah, there's that, <laughs> and all, and the old opio, op- opioid addiction that's uh, like sweeping our entire country. On the upside, it's not case, technically though. an opiate, but still, your point is well taken. <laughs> <laughs> so that's coming at the end of the podcast. We're going to. Uh, talk about uh, a bunch of shows from this week that were they're interesting and, and fun um, and helped us, you know, engage with at some points and keep our minds off of at other points. Um, everything that's been swirling the past few days. But 
uh, we should get into our week in TV because there's a lot to talk about. Uh, and I think a lot of people could use a break from the shocking and terrifying realities of our political climate right now. So what say you? Let's go. Let's do yeah. it. And unless you were just really happy about the election, then we apologize for this. I don't not apologize really, for this. Not really. I don't know why anybody who's really happy about the election, I kind of don't know why they still listen. I kind of don't know how they, like, have have not gotten uh, annoyed with, you know, feminism and, you know, our this respect is for minorities point. on this show. Uh, yeah, I don't really. But maybe they do exist. And um, if, if we do have any Trump stands that are listening um i'm not ready yet to hear your thoughts hopefully i will be at some point but right now i don't even want to engage with you about it maybe when i have more distance i'll be able to because that's the only way that we have any progress you know we can't just wall each other off from each other but for right now yeah i'm hardcore doing that so um yeah let's 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 you know, let's take a break here. Let's listen to a little Rachel Bloom singing uh, Maryland style, the math of love triangles from Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. And we'll be back with our week in comedy. What's a girl to do when she's stuck between men? It's like she's a Barbie with two perfect kins. But wait, it just occurred to me. Maybe I can solve this with geometry. Yes, smarts can help this situation untangle. So professors, teach me the math of love triangles. Yay, time for book facts. A triangle is a polygon with three edges and three vertices. Take the base times the height, cut that in half to find the area of the surfaces. Uh -huh, I wasn't really listening, but I can see the center of the triangle is little me. This week in comedy, we're going to talk a bit about uh, the Better Things finale, Only Woman Bleed. I'm going to catch up with You're the Worst. This week, the episode was The Inherent Unsullied qu uh, Qualitative Value of Anything. Uh, then we'll talk People of Earth, Acceptance, Blackish, Jack of All Trades, Superstore, Seasonal Help, uh, Jane the Virgin, Chapter 48, and Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. All signs point to Josh, or is it Josh's friend? I still don't have that inflection right. It's like, I, like I don't, I don't want it to always be like like whiny kind of question mark but i feel like that's kind of what they're going for so I don't it, know. it is totally what they're going for <laughs> yeah yeah i suppose so well first up here we have better things and i caught up with the show i got behind so i caught up with it this week um and the first thing for me was um obviously where the season has been leading to in this final episode uh max telling sam frankie's a boy um, about, you know, the, her biological daughter, Sam's daughter, you know, Max's biological sister. I, I kind of want to take back our criticisms from earlier in the season, right? Yeah, right? No, like, I mean, I saw the, I saw the title for the finale. And I, I like, groaned? Like... No, well, no, my thing was, is, like, I've seen the title for the finale for, like, since the show started. Like, I mean, I've, I've, I've got FX's press access, so I just saw that title and went, Okay, well, I don't know what this is, so, like, watching it earlier, and I'm just, so, we get to that episode about her discussing periods and everything, and using that as an identifier for womanhood, and then they're just like, well, gotcha! Yeah. 
Remember how oh. you criticized us for being, you know, erasing, having erasure of trans? Oh, boom. You look stupid now, which we do. Well, fair enough. Fair enough. But it was so well done. Yeah, it was. Um, <coughs> no, and it, it's a very good episode. Um, the show excels most when it's dealing with, like, the chaos of her managing her family. And so Sam's, like, mourning of, I've got a daughter who's sick. I've got a daughter who refuses to help. I've got a daughter who is looking for a dress but doesn't want a dress and then has to be called into the principal's office at the school and the school's super cool about it. Like, best school (laughs) ever. But then just watching Sam navigate all of this stuff and then navigate... I just like this... I like the most I like is that scene of the two of them at the restaurant and just mom 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 sam sam and just the fact that <laughs> sam's just sitting right exactly <laughs> i was and, like family guy reference very nice <laughs> <laughs> and sam's just sitting there like staring out the window ignoring it because at this point it's just noise <laughs> and it's just there's such a sense of lived-inness with all the family stuff that that's really for me the strongest point of the show and so to have this particular development happen and how everything kind of like clicked into place and then the end with them going apparently alleged apparently were led to believe to santa barbara instead leaving the mother behind mm-hmm. um, which was sad yeah kind of terrible um yeah. especially that quick cut to her looking really isolated and lonely and sad um was really good and interesting and like demonstrated a bunch of stuff about like the tug of war between mothers and daughters and now mothers and sons and how all this gets navigated and interrogated. And I was just really, really pleased with how it all worked out. Um, It's still not a show that I think I always responded to in terms of like laughing or finding really compelling each week because it was a show I let slide for a couple of weeks and then caught up on and then basically and worked ahead on and then just didn't watch again until this week. Um, so I really enjoyed it. Um, I'm not quite sure. Sh- it, for me, it wasn't like as good as something like Atlanta, which is easily the quickest comparable show because they both have X. But it was still good, I thought. Um, how did you feel about like this finale and the show as a whole as it wrapped up? Um, I think uh, for me, the, the one criticism that i have of the show is that i feel like too frequently sam is right and everybody else is wrong but you brought up the trip to santa barbara and i think it was really good to include that in this episode to show the ways in which she's not perfect either that she's not able to be there for her mother in that in that moment when her mother really could use her um, she's been looking forward to this trip, and then she just, you know, it's highly implied that she she bought her mom's house, her bought her mom the house right next to them, and everything, and like that she subsidizes her and everything. So like she's doing a lot for her mother. Don't get me wrong, but emotionally, you know, her mom could have used that, and so that way when we see her being like <laughs> trying to doing all this other stuff throughout the the season, and usually she's she's right and. The, the show takes their perspective with the kids and everything, too. 
Um, I think that counterbalanced that actually really nicely in the in the finale. But on the whole, though, it's it's a really well made show. Uh, the like the slice of life of this finale is, I think, what something that a lot of people really keyed into, um, that which I thought worked well, but it didn't like necessarily blow me away. But but again, the performances, the writing, and like there's an authenticity to that experience that I think it comes through, um, and like the of the the harried mother and, and like the domineering and forceful mother, which obviously that's the kind of mother Sam is. Um, I don't know. I it, it does like especially like this is a show that's so easy to binge, just one to the next, to the next, to the next, because you get into the rhythms of the show and the personalities and the dynamics of the three siblings and everything and. Um, and they, I'm really glad that again, like I said with Atlanta, I'm glad that we're in peak TV so this kind of show can exist and this uh, voice can exist. And, you know, I don't feel like there's, this is revolutionary. I don't feel like we haven't seen this kind of story before yet, though we may be getting there second, second season. Um, but, I've really enjoyed my time with it, and uh, it's such a... Again, I have to keep reminding myself, first seasons of comedies are often really not that good, because usually it takes a while for a show to find its voice and to figure out the strengths and, uh, of its different characters and cast members, but um, this first season has been very assured, and, you know, the, Pamela Adlin um, and Lucy Kay creators, but also just the performances and the, the tones of the show have been, on the whole, really well-balanced, and showing this Sam as, like, a complete person as a mother, as a daughter, uh, but also as a, as a, an actor, as a, somebody who works, as uh, someone who wants her, their own independence, as a sexual being, uh, but not defined by that. Like I, I think the the portrait it's given us of Sam has been, on the whole, really terrific. No, I'd agree with that. I mean, even within this episode, like you see that balance play out, which is why I think that, like the finale is probably like the strongest episode, even though it has very little to do with her work life in it. Um, and even like the episodes that kind of deal with her work life, like it happens on the periphery. So like the episode where she's maybe going to get cast in a pilot, but mm-hmm. her agent doesn't tell her that she's maybe going to be cast in a pilot because the agent knows exactly what's going to happen and doesn't want to ruin this. Mm-hmm. And so watching all of that play out was really, really good. And it's easily the strongest portion of like the workplace stuff in the show. And plus you also had um, two really great actors doing that um, on that side. Um, so that was really fun. But like this whole thing of her trying to navigate being a mom and then her own individual person in so far as I can't FaceTime with you right now, guy I'm having an affair with. Um, nobody. Because... That's the the name on the phone is nobody, which I appreciate. Right. Exactly. So it's just like, it's, and then like, so she can't FaceTime, and so they're he's having phone sex. She's driving and trying to find something in the car, and I mean, it's just a. It's exactly how phone sex operates, <laughs> and two, it's exactly how to like to to link it up to like something else, like Insecure's whole depiction of shower sex is painfully accurate (laughs) and so these these two things it's just like very lived in type of examples of how these things that we think are really great really aren't except for maybe one person in the case of the phone sex and it's just like well no hang on i have to take this phone call 
and then he's done after she gets mm-hmm. back on the line and it's just like she wasn't she wasn't necessary for that <laughs> i mean it was nice i guess maybe that she was there for him i guess maybe i don't know i don't think so but mm-hmm. that it was like this her attempt at trying to have some sort of connection beyond that she needed to have but her life just doesn't allow for that and i think that's a really important thing to say even without making it abundantly clear that they're saying that and i really really liked that and i it was also funny but it was also just she's just really frustrated and busy and has a lot going on that she can't have phone sex on your schedule dude mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> just chillax yeah she's she's got three kids you're not high on the priority list. On You're scale literally things. nobody in her phone. <laughs> yeah. Yep. No. It was. I, I'm certainly looking forward to to seeing what they do in season two. And um, yeah, I don't know if this will be on my top twenty. Don't. I don't know if it'll be in contention for that. Um, but again, I'm. I was Thanks glad for it was the time me to do that. And start yeah, that's coming that. up, man. I gotta start working on that because that's. Oh, yeah. smorcus- how much smorgasborgy can we cut? <laughs> we'll have to have a conversation about that. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. But uh, yeah, let us know, listeners, if you have categories that must stay. But um, yeah. Unless you just really want me to rail about Mr. Robot more, I guess. <laughs> but um, anyway, yeah. yeah. No, and tell, me, was... tell me about You're the Worst, that you've caught up on it. Tell me how that was going. I've seen people talk about it, and I heard some rumbling about this week's episode. But as someone who is the worst by not watching You're the Worst, <laughs> what have I missed so far this season? You're the Worst has been solid this season for me. But the trouble is it's got significant storylines I just don't care about. Um, I, I really feel like they've they've bungled Lindsay's storyline uh, and, and what they're giving Catherine Donahue to do. Because she's terrific. But uh, I'm sure... <laughs> I have a strong feeling. I haven't reached out to, for example, a friend of the show, Cooper S. Beckett, on this, but um, uh, I'm sure the kink community is not happy with its the portrayal of cuckolding that's in this uh, because it's, frankly, just sort of abusive and terrible and not what that's supposed to be. And considering that kink rarely gets displayed in, like, a, a way that kinksters feel is accurate and respectful on TV, I imagine... Um, like, this portrayal of anybody who's in a cuckolding relationship um, is being kind of coerced or forced into it and kind of weeping to themselves all the time. Like, I imagine they're not very happy about that. Um, also, I don't think it's funny, and I think it just kind of retreads stuff we already knew about the characters. So, um, I don't... Like, they just, they just don't know what to do with that character. They know that Catherine who's terrific, but they've been doing the she's a lost baby thing for like three seasons now, uh, the entire run of the show. And, um, it's this twist on it, I guess, uh, has not been, has not been interesting. So they need to just cut bait with Paul and give her something else to do. Uh, the stuff with, with, um, uh, Edgar has been more interesting. Um, and like watching him deal with the VA and trying to figure out how to manage his PTSD. Um, that hasn't, gotten maybe as much time as it could have but um having like caught up with a bunch several episodes this week uh, i think on the whole the season is has has managed it pretty well and the stuff they have done has been has been really interesting and 
I also really like them bringing in Doug Benson as like super sober businessman guy, uh, and like the that his his brand, the pot brand, and everything is just like not what he's like day to day, and he's actually like very efficient and no nonsense at his at his office. Uh, that's pretty fun. Uh, so there's been some good stuff with that. Uh, I like what they gave Dorothy in this last episode as well. Um, Jimmy dealing with his father's death has worked um and uh and has like been pretty well thought out uh the it feels like the tension between him and Gretchen from this week's episode that feels feels pretty contrived to me but um um but on the whole I like again they're they're having they're not looking for a short term one episode solution to Jimmy's dad died and he's got a lot of thoughts and feelings about that which is good um and as for Gretchen I really like that they brought Samara uh, Wiley back um, it was this week or the week before, and um, of course they had her do like this whole episode where she's trying to be mindful all the time. So of course I was thinking of Steven Universe and uh, um, and Garnet's most recent song and Stevani's song. Uh, but uh, yeah, I think they've I think they've done well this season, but it hasn't grabbed me the way that the first season did and that parts of the second season did. I still don't think they've quite calibrated everything together to like peak you're the worst they haven't reached peak you're the worst yet and i don't know if they will but um i absolutely understand people who really connect to the characters and love the show for that for me it's just been you know fine i I, you know i was getting very easy to marathon very easy to catch up with um but i this year it's probably not gonna be top 20 it's probably you know like i could see falling away from it again then catching back up um and yeah that's I feel kind of bad saying that. Like, eh, what a what faint praise! There are like four hundred shows right on right on TV right now. I'm like, well, it's not in my top twenty. I mean, come on. That doesn't mean that it's not really interesting and doesn't have good things to say. And like, nobody else on TV right now, I don't think, is talking about um, uh, veterans. I mean, we're recording this on Veterans Day, um, so I, it's great that the show is is giving this much attention to to a character like Edgar. But um, let alone Gretchen working on on herself and trying to avoid significant clinical depression like she was dealing with in the last season. And, and, you know, so like it's, it's a show that's interested in, in, is interested in, 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 in these kinds of topics and it treats its characters with respect. And it's usually funny. I didn't like the road trip episode. I know a lot of people did. I didn't care about that one at all, but um, it's not, it's not the show that I run to, to watch on my DVR. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, how many do you feel like they can like coalesce into something this well, season? Or they got two do you, more. Do you feel like they're like setting? Basically, do you think that they've just decided to make this sort of like a transitionary season in which they're setting up a bunch of stuff for the next season? Basically, I, I'm feeling the seams, and maybe again, this is because I watched like five episodes this week. Um, I'm feeling the seams of, and here we're moving things towards season finale. You know, a yeah. little bit too much. Um, okay. uh, but I'm glad it's getting fourth season. And, um, you know, we'll see what they what they do. But one of the cr- trickiest things for people, for writers to, to do is, is find, if you have a show built on tension of do these people like really like each other or themselves, and you have them deal with that and decide that they do like each other and then work on do they like themselves... <laughs> And they, you know, work on that. Then, then it's easy to, for the show to 
does it become something else? Like, or do you just repeat these storylines? And I think that's the problem they're running into with Lindsay. Um, I think that's the problem they're heading towards with Gretchen and Jimmy. Um, just again, kind of cycling the same beats instead of coming up with, you know, new ones. And that's because most people are only so interesting. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I don't know what they're going to do next, but, um, I, they certainly earned enough of my trust that I'm going to find out. So there's that. Um, but let's move on to our next show. Cause we're going super long. Uh, we have people of earth acceptance and we, we got to see, um, a little bit more time with our, the aliens. They had a funeral for, I don't even remember his name, the reptilian. Yeah. Let's just say the reptilian. I don't remember his name either. Yeah. What did you, uh, which is really racist of us that we think all reptilians just look yeah. the same. Apparently. Apparently. Um, are you enjoying the larger conspiracy that we have seen in action here? Um, a little bit. Um, I'm not really like sure I'm latching on to the conspiracy mainly because it just feels like they're a take over the world by infiltration type of conspiracy. So I'm like, eh, okay. I'm more interested in like what's happening as these people like figure out what their lives mean in light of their alien experience type of stuff. So I'm in. I'm, I, I enjoy the interplay between the aliens, so like they, that they all have distinct personalities that feel very defined by their particular species, I think is really interesting, because I imagine all the white hairs are exactly like this. Mm. Um, <clears throat> so I'm, I'm intrigued by all of that, and I feel like the reptilians are probably folks that are very probably spearheading this in a lot of ways i imagine since they're at least the ones who can clearly the ones that are passing be amongst the humans mm -hmm. um so they probably have the most invested in this so i i i almost want them to not be doing like a take over the world thing and it'd be something else yeah um because that i think would be really interesting and really surprising and would help throw a lot of the support group stuff into a different kind of perspective um, I don't necessarily think that's what they're going to do, but it's also really, really early, so yeah. there's no telling. Um, how are you feeling about the conspiracy stuff then? And like, this, oh yeah, yeah, it's super you're fun. In it, yeah. Okay, well, but... I mean, and like having H. John Benjamin be uh like in on things—is he a reptilian or is he a collaborator? We don't know, but yeah. you know, it's just fun to actually see his face on the show. <laughs> and of course, Amy Landaker it's weird shows to up to see his face. <laughs> uh, Amy Landaker shows up uh, as uh, Brian Husky's. Uh, extreme, uh, estranged wife, now ex-wife. Um, uh, and just like the throwaway, no, things were terrible before we got abducted was just like a fun way to, you know, kind of screech that. Like, that's like record scratch, you know. Um, but I continue to enjoy the dynamic of the group and the, the flirtation, the love that's in the air in the group is a little, you know, I was enjoying that subplot here too. But, um, no, it's fun. It's light. And, like, you know, we said earlier on, I needed some fun and light this week, so this fit the bill. I'm I'm glad you thought it was fun and light. I thought it was just kind of, like, it was fun and light, certainly, but at the same time, it was also, like, I was, like, massively keying in on the fact that Richard is just in deep, deep denial. Oh, well, yes. And I was just, I was really appreciating how that was, like, getting tied to this experience how he's using the camping trip and the alien abduction as like the turning alien experience as the turning point and while yes we get that record scratch i mean he's just in such denial about it and it's like 
there's grief within this group that is has yet to be explored basically and i'm really interested in seeing the backstories for other folks for how they got here in ways that aren't necessarily well we both had experiences with the white hairs let's see how they're different type mm-hmm. of thing and that's kind of played up for lonely hearts laughs and so this in this is played for something much more serious and but still funnily serious but serious and i was really keying in on that and i mean when you're getting um brian husky to come on and do something like this it's brian husky right yeah yeah okay and really knocking out of the park um then you've got a really good show running and i'm really excited to see what happens going forward with who what everyone else is bringing to this particular group and why they're in this group beyond their alien experiences and i i'm that to me is like the thing i'm really interested in this show um no that's next week that's next Mm -hmm. week's episode never mind okay we'll talk about next week's episode (laughs) next (laughs) at some point Mm -hmm. but no because i was confusing the two in my head so yeah so i'm 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 excited to see more from the show it's still really funny and yeah i'm just i'm really enjoying it yeah Mm -hmm. so people of earth are getting you know we're looking forward to the characters getting more nuanced and more shading to their lives and their experiences uh on blackish Diane is like all the shading's gone. She's just evil, and the the teachers <laughs> Even are worried. The teachers are afraid of her. <laughs> yep, appropriately, you know, appropriately. Uh, what did you think of of Jack of all trades and this this episode's discussion of you know blue collar, white collar? You know, <laughs> a little more timely than maybe they expected. Right. Yeah, it was probably more timely than they anticipated it being. Um, well, first, I mean, just the Diane stuff was. Was good until, like, the Exorcist stuff just became a little too much, really. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I feel like Ruby's getting really kind of buffoonish, and I don't like that. Yeah. Um, I'm not crazy about that. Because um, I like Ruby, the way Ruby was, like, when she was more filling in for Pops back when Lawrence Fishburne was kind of busy doing another show. Um, R.I.P. Hannibal. She- <laughs> R.I.P. Hannibal. We'll miss you. I thought about watching you as comfort food this week, which was a really weird thought. Yeah, <laughs> no, me too, actually. Yeah. Oh, good. I wasn't alone. Thank no. goodness. Um, I needed the stability of that relationship, clearly. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I could watch Hannibal. Oh, I could watch Treme. These are depressing shows, Kate. What are you doing? <laughs> They're beautiful and amazing, but also depressing. Yeah. <laughs> I'm laughing so I don't cry. Yeah. <laughs> Yep. Um, so, I, but I still enjoyed, like, the throwaway stuff of, like, Dre and Bo don't want to talk about Diane at all. Like, mm-hmm. they're there to talk about Diane, and they're just like, nope, Diane's fine. We're good. We're good. Yeah. She's going to be the head of a political operation. It's just like, that's not okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that was really fun. But I really enjoyed the inherent, but not inherent, the explicit class tensions that were being explored through this idea of, I worked really hard so that you could work really hard too, and all you do is decide what popcorn tastes best. (laughs) And put animals in clothes and put that on billboards. Well, the research shows, no, that's not legitimate. And I really like the, the show sitting down and trying to navigate what this means for happiness, what this means for support, 
and what this means for like ties to like issues of how this factors into the American dream and but more explicitly how this factors into the American dream within this African American African American family and <clears throat> so I really like the fact that they're wanting to figure this out and but then they're also just willing to settle for Jack being a doctor that doesn't really count like a podiatrist or <laughs> a psychologist even like a psychologist <laughs> doesn't even have to go to med school Kate that's how low on the doctor totem pole they are <laughs> but I also like the idea that they're willing to like not say like a doctor in media studies or mm. a philosophy like they're at least going to be some sort of doctor that can get paid basically mm -hmm. um so I liked how all of this was being navigated in their class assumptions and what they think is what they should do best because they've done these things so obviously someone else needs to do these things and I like how all tied up in this this is while at the same time the it's not really like thrown in pop's face that without necessarily dre and Bo's jobs that pop would not be living in the pool house yeah <laughs> and basically being able to go to the track whenever he feels like it i mean they mention it but it's not like thrown in his face in a way that says you shouldn't be criticizing us for this you're benefiting from it and i like how where pop is coming from was given weight basically and i thought that was really important um how did you feel about this yeah i think um what what we see for with that you know kind of like nudge to pops uh, i think was was very fitting um and i think this discussion of what is the american dream and does it necessarily escalate with each generation and how sustainable is that and what what is enough I think that's an important conversation for our country to have. Um, of course, right now I'm tying everything. Everything in my head right now is connecting to this election. And um, when the economy has improved and unemployment has gone down steadily over the past at least four years, isn't it most of the past eight years? Um, uh, yeah, pretty steadily over six and a half to seven years. Yes, and yet people are saying... People are voting on the fact that the economy is terrible when it's done nothing but improve. Um, and I say this as a person who is poor, not legally poor. I shouldn't say that. That's not, that's check your privilege. No, but who has very little money because I'm a classical musician. They call it starving artists for a reason. Um, uh, who also hasn't seen her income rise in any significant or meaningful way. Cause again, I don't expect it to, I'm a classical musician. That's a choice I made, but um, I think that's an important conversation to have on what is enough, what is not enough. What like, I think, I think we're not talking about that as a country. And I think that there isn't necessarily easy or pat answers to that. There's not necessarily a correct and incorrect position on that but i do think it's something that's good to talk about and so again i just with blackish i i i really think that their best episodes are when they engage with topics that are significant and important and under discussed and yes there are a couple other shows out there talking about um different like, who feature characters who are middle class and actually live in middle class homes unlike most of them like the middle or like speechless their house is terrible on speechless um what, what yeah yeah and he works at an airline yeah he's he yeah he works for an airline yeah Baggage customer service yeah. yeah 
Yeah. Um, I do think, I think, you know, a show like Black, it's just hard for them to talk about that in a, you know, considering their that family is very well off, but they found a way to do that with, that made sense within the context of the characters. And, um, and, and so, yeah, I, I, I like this episode. And, I, and again, I, I just keep coming back to you. It's, it's, these are good conversations for us to be having. And I'm glad that there's some shows out there that are sparking them. Yeah, it is. Um, and I think one of the key things that Blackish does, so to like your point about them being very securely upper class, um, if not upper class at the most, but upper middle class at the very least, but they're probably upper class. That house is like a mansion. Huge. Yeah, no, it's They have a guest large. house. They're wealthy. <laughs> um, so I think the key thing that Blackish is able to execute that with is the fact that race ties into all of this in ways that it doesn't for the other shows. So like this idea of a barely scraping by middle-class white family generally doesn't interrogate how race factors into that. Whereas Blackish's upper-class stuff through history and through racial consciousness, rather through Pop's ideas or through Dre's um, episode required remembrance of things gone by um, that they're able to put these things in perspective and say, well, we climbed up, we did this, we achieved this, we want to continue this. And I think that's where they're able to execute that and be able to talk about these things in ways that make sense because Pops and Ruby are there to provide a counterpoint to this narrative. Without Pops and Ruby and without Dre occasionally remembering how bad, how poor he was growing up, then it would feel incredibly tone deaf and kind of ridiculous. But because of the historical nature of things, they're able to execute that really, really nicely. And it's good because you can't separate these kind of economics and race in a way that doesn't, that it wouldn't make sense if they didn't, if they did do that and they don't, and the show doesn't do that to its benefit. Um, the only other thing that I was wondering throughout the entire thing about this whole thing of like class and job quality and that kind of thing was where was David Diggs to weigh in on the Parisian approach yeah. to that particular <laughs> issue? Because I wanted his input. <laughs> That's true. I didn't think of that. Oh, David Diggs. Yeah, definitely. So far, he's won the, the Hamilton lottery for guest roles. Um, yeah. Well, let's, let's move on to our next show because, of course, Superstore deals with some of these issues as well. Um, I did not realize there were two episodes. I misread the app. So I only watched Seasonal Help, but uh, I will, since we finished recording, check out the, the final episode uh, of, like, Black the mid-season Friday. finale. Black Friday. Yeah, well, there you go. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> Seasonal yeah. Help to Black Friday. Uh, what did you think of these episodes? And, you know, having a little bit more quality time with Amy and her husband. Uh, huh. For lack of well, a better word. Yeah, quality time with her husband was actually really important for me because like like I told you right when season two was starting, like I just kind of like did like every third episode of mm-hmm. season one. So I have actually had very limited experience to Amy's husband. Um, I was told from my friend who I was watching Superstore with on Twitter that I needed to go back and watch the barbecue episode. 
our like the competition episode where they try to sell a really high priced item. Um, mm-hmm. I needed to go watch that episode. Um, so I will probably do that at some point. Um, but this was really my first prolonged exposure to Amy's husband, whose name I can't remember, and I'm perfectly okay with that because he's <laughs> awful. He's absolutely terrible. I do not like this man. Um, so I, I I still enjoyed like them. I I liked I liked seasonal help a lot. I liked this navigation of I'm saying navigation a lot today, and I'm going to stop right now. Um, <laughs> I liked how they. I liked the twist on how um, the reveal that Jonah was trying to get all these people to quit, um, particularly the giant ginger guy, which is terrible, um, by finding out that they were all part of Glenn's like last chance church program. And it was just like, that was fantastic. Um, and just made Jonah even the worst. And I was very happy that I don't have a massive gambling problem, so I could finally find a difference between me and Jonah. <sighs> Such a relief. And so I thought that was really funny. I enjoyed, like, Myrtle being really annoyed there was another old woman. <laughs> and I yeah. enjoyed, like, her trying to, like, hip check the really tall stairwell and not doing it. <laughs> Like, all of that was just really, really funny. I really enjoyed that. Um, them harassing the temp, the seasonal help and treating the seasonal help as, like, subhuman wasn't, like, the best thing. Like, sexually yeah. harassing that woman was kind of just weird and gross. And yeah, that's like a step too far. Right, and it was just really bizarre. And I understand that they were, like, leaning into being really terrible so that they would quit. Mm-hmm. And the entire premise is just really bad. Mm-hmm. But, um, no, it was just... It veered, it, it like, veered into, like, weird territory sometimes for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I will not discuss the Black Friday episode in any real way, shape, or form, because I already inadvertently kind of spoiled some of that stuff for you um, before we started recording when I told you there was an episode. Um, I will say that there um, is some good Dina stuff um, in that episode as well. All Dina the, stuff is good Dina stuff. All Dina stuff is good Dina stuff. Um, so there's plenty of there's plenty of stuff for you to look forward to in that episode, um, and I look forward to your thoughts about it. Uh, the last thing I will say, um, as a correction to myself, last week I railed against NBC for not just giving us the last four episodes of The Good Place because I need them, Kate. <laughs> and but I have forgotten in my rage. Hayes that um, CBS and NBC were splitting the um, NFL Thursday night games so starting next week NBC gets the Thursday night games that nobody wants <laughs> and so that's why there was there's no good place until January and why as of this week there's no Superstore until January but both shows ended on really good cliff- cliffhangers um, as you will find out when you watch the uh, Black Friday episode of Superstore. So how did you feel about seasonal help? It was fun. Um, the escalation of them terrorizing the the attempts uh, was mostly very entertaining. I agree they went a little too far with the sexual harassment. But again, when they made this, I don't think they realized the context in which it would be airing. Uh, and we'd be having a national conversation about this for the entire month. Um, and, you know, like the past four weeks at least. Um, but uh, I thought it was fun. I, I, it's nice for them to give some a different angle to Jonah, even though it does go exactly where you expect. 
Um, I like that he gives him the cash and then he immediately goes to spend it on drugs. So kind of gives a little cut to the sugar there at the end. Um, but yeah, it was fun. And, it, you know, it's the right kind of, you know, hijinks for, for this. I like that they kind of took a week off from... I guess there was there's the serious stuff with Amy and her husband, but unlike the Mateo um, green card uh, voting right, which situation, doesn't get addressed. <laughs> yeah, well, we, that was a more serious you know subplot to the previous episode, which does lead to hijinks as it will in this kind of show. But I, I you know like the stuff with Amy and her husband felt more in this episode driven by insecurity than anything particularly grounded, and I look forward to seeing how that then shapes up in the next episode but um it was nice to have a, a just a little more straight up silly episode um and it's just I, I enjoy the dynamics of the cast so i thought i thought it was solid and um i look forward to catching up with black friday any of your thoughts on superstar well let's move on then to jane the virgin chapter 48 and i have two main thoughts on this one i loved the sh- you know the show's honesty about financial strain and what that does to a marriage. Bad Jane for lying to Michael. That's a really that's really out of character for her. It's not out of character for her to think she knows best. That is very, very in character. But um that's she's gonna have to she's got a lot of apologizing to do in her actions. Um and then second of all, the narrator was a hundred percent right about time we have forward movement on the petrified plot. Those are my two main takeaways uh what what did you think of this episode i agree with both of your um points um so i'll elaborate on them a little bit um is that and also admit to the fact that i would totally do what jane did and (laughs) like pad like that budget without saying anything um just because that's how i would have handled that especially just that's how i would handle that so when she when it came out that she did that I didn't go, Jane, you're a horrible liar. You need to fix this. I, in my head, I went, you should apologize, but you did the right thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, so obviously I was very like in the Jane camp of this, of like, I would built, I would have built in a safety net type of thing for that. So that's where I was with it. But on a less personal level, like I really enjoyed how, we're using the economic strain of them figuring out how to make this house work against the larger ideas of the fact that this is the first time these two people have really lived together. They don't know one another in this kind of a situation before, i.e. his filing system is two shoeboxes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I say this as someone who does not have a filing system for this kind of stuff because so much of my stuff I'd normally just kind of keep in my head because, but I'm only managing myself and I also yeah. have all my tax returns dating back to when I first started working just in case. Yeah, no, me so, too. Yeah. In a, in a file, like, I, I don't even keep receipts I have an accordion file, right. Yeah, I don't but, keep yeah. receipts. But yeah, yeah I, have, but I have all the returns. Yeah. And also, just in case I run for president, I can just release all of them. <laughs> um... So, <clears throat> so I liked how they explored that tension through an economic tension, which is a really, and that was the other reason why I just didn't kind of get too upset with Jane. And she explained this is that economics is a really big thing for her. They always have been. Mm-hmm. And so her building in a safety net, even though she didn't tell Michael about it, is something that for me 
made sense because this is how she's kind of lived. And I really appreciated that. Um, so I really liked their fight. I liked their kind of reconciliation. But I also liked the pettiness of the sniping of, this is a Vente Latte. We said no more of these. And and he, she was just like, well, that's a really expensive bottle of wine. And she was like, well, it's for guests. And I, I liked how all of that was playing out because it was very accurate to that kind of a situation. So I really enjoyed that. Um, I love that Jane figured it out. I was really happy that Jane figured it out. Like, I I liked how it happened. I liked what triggered it. Mm-hmm. And I liked the buildup of the situation in which she had these confrontations with Ineska as Petra, in which Ineska was trying to make sure everything didn't, was, like, being withdrawn so she could basically get out of Dodge as quickly as possible. Mm-hmm. But also, like, how mixed up everything is with Jane and Petra gave her away, basically. And I really, really enjoyed that, and I enjoyed... I just I I was very happy that it happened like the narrator. Mm-hmm. And I but what I really liked is that Jane immediately went to Raphael and went, I don't think that's Petra. And that's where we're going to end the episode with is like Jane going, yeah, something's up. We need to figure this out. And I'm very excited because I mean, I have to, again going back to like the premiere, I have to think that Raph knows something is up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, but we'll find out. And I'm, I'm interested in seeing these particular dominoes fall, uh, next week. Um, so why don't you elaborate a bit more? And if there was anything else that stood out to you in this episode? I gotta say, I'm a little disappointed to see Abuela, uh, to see Alba go from being, uh, like a, a, a nurse or physical therapist to working in a shop. Um. Yeah. 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 Like, it's her choice she wants to. Um, but that is a little disappointing considering, again, representation on TV, which I know is so important to that actress as well, whose name escapes me. But she's like, no, she's going to have a job. She's going to be professional. She's not going to be just over the stove there in the background being vague mother figure. She needs to have her own life outside of her relationship with her family. Um, and so the the show going, yeah, but we need an excuse for her to hang out with Jane. Let's put her in the Marbella. Uh, yeah. And don't they have exactly... recovery wards there? Can't she get a job as a nurse there? Yeah, no, like her, I don't, I mean, they used it as recovery type stuff. I don't know if they have like dedicated wards. And certainly yeah. if they did, they're gone now because yeah. of like their budget slashing type stuff. But no, her ending up in the shop is very much a, we need a way for her to interact with Jane. And this is the easiest way for us to achieve that goal. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, Zoe working in a bank. Yeah, no, that's <laughs> that's that spoke to me so strongly uh, because I remember going into a, a bank uh, last year or for for something and um, just hearing. I think the just the music that they had on um, it just really hit me because I was, I was seeing there was a couple cubicles. I mean, they're big. It's not like there are people who are all on top of each other, but it just occurred to me. These people have to listen to this music every day. They get no choice in the music that they are surrounded by at all times. That would chip away at my soul. <laughs> and, you know, I've been able to 
you know, put together my, my own career as a self-employed musician so that I don't, and I don't have to, to do uh, work at a bank or in a cubicle like so many people do. Um, and with that comes no money, uh, but also a lot of freedom. And so watching Zoe kind of deal with that, I was like, yeah, I feel you. <laughs> at a certain point, you know, if you're, if, 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 you know, if the economy takes a big enough dip, I will be applying for Starbucks to supplement my, my income as a musician, um, or some other place. But, um, so you can listen to Jack Johnson all the time, all the time. Yeah. So, so right now I'm in a position where I don't, I get the luxury of not having to do that. And I know a lot of people don't have that luxury, but I think that they did a really good job of just kind of demonstrating that though. I do think they're infantilizing Zoe a bit too much in her relationship with Alba. Um, these last couple of episodes. Um, so hopefully they'll, well, you know, kick that back the, up. The abortion thing I can understand. Yeah. And I really don't treat that as infantilizing. Um, but this but episode, this, she's like this, ducking behind stuff. and Yeah, this is very much within that kooky, also like teenager gets fired, doesn't want their parents to know type of thing as well. So I, I agree with it in this in this particular case, yeah. Yeah. Any other thoughts on Jane or shall we move on to Crazy. No, let's move on to crazy and let's discuss the big musical number. Um, the their one big musical number that they actually like made available like on Tuesday, basically because a lot of folks ended up writing about it. Um, there were a couple of like splashy cover, co- not cover stories, but articles about it. Mm-hmm. And um, I was kind of eager to hear your thoughts about it because I had watched this like a month ago. Um, and was like prepared for the number and I was actually kind of disappointed that there was so much about the number because I was ready for people to just be kind of like surprised by it mm-hmm. and then they're just like here it is this is our only number this week apart from the period song um, period sex song um, that's all we got for you this week um, understandably because the love tri- the math of the love triangle is a very big number um, that probably took up a great deal of time and also their budget uh, Daryl will probably be played by a broom again next week um, <laughs> But how did you feel about this particular uh, musical number? And, like, what is your relationship with um, these kind of Marilyn Monroe type of musical numbers where they just kind of go on for way too long? Even in my opinion, as someone who likes these numbers, I feel like they go on too long in the movies. And this one, while I liked it, also went on a little too long. So how did you feel about it? I have not seen Gentlemen Prefer Blondes. Sure. Um, I have, I have seen Madonna's Material Girl video, at some point, and I'm familiar, obviously, with Gentlemen Prefer Blondes and the song, and and you know, like all of this, you know, the trappings of this that they're that are aped and you know, paid homage to in the Math of Love, Love Triangles. But I have no connection to it, and so I just was bored and not interested in it, and I found the affectation of her voice annoying and uh useless so i did not care for this i can um completely understand how other people do um, sure. but for me i mean i i keep saying i want this show to be i think it's best when it's a musical and the way that musicals theoretically work they don't have to but like you know, my preferred form gonna, of musical. Are we going to have a fight about how musicals work? This Very is possibly. <laughs> is when the emotion of whatever scene becomes so powerful that to express how the person is feeling, words aren't enough, and they start using 
songs. They start singing instead. So whether that's joy, whether that's hate, whether that's uh, giddiness, whether that's uh, just conflicted turmoil, like it could be pretty much any emotion, but that's what's, for me, when a, sh when a song is driven by that, that's when I connect to it more. And then hopefully it's well written and it's, and it's well executed and well sung and well orchestrated and composed and all of that stuff. But for me, it was just like, first 20 seconds, it's like, okay, I get it. Oh, and there's another three minutes of this. Okay, okay. I see, I see what you're doing. Well done at what you're doing, but I don't care. Um, and so that's sort of where I was at with this. And this episode is so much going for it. It's doing a lot of really great stuff for, with, with, um, where Rebecca is at, um, with Josh and Greg and, you know, basically just burying team Josh and team Greg into the ground because the point is team Rebecca and neither one of these people or any person would be good for her right now. I think they, they, they really hit that point home very effectively, um, but for the song itself, I just wanted to get on back to the episode. So are we going to disagree about how musicals work? No, I mean, I'm okay with like, well, I guess my question then becomes, and this is only, this is tangentially relevant based on how the show sometimes executes musical uh, numbers is whether or not like the transition to like a dream musical number which is what happens a lot on this show. Mm -hmm. um, and happens, like, very particularly in this instance. Um, it's something different, like, with Paula's number last week, um, where she imagines herself in, like, this Disney princess type of thing, but it doesn't feel necessarily like a dream sequence, um, in part because the office is still there and still present. Yeah. Um, whereas this is very much in the vein of a 1950s musical number. Mm -hmm. um, so I guess my question then becomes like, how do you feel about the dream execution number? Cause then you're going to have some problems going forward. Just to let you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's again, as long as it's driven by emotion, mm -hmm. I am a okay with it. Like dream sequence. Like that's like the, the dream ballet is such a staple of American musical theater going back to Oklahoma, which was the first one to use it, where, of course, Lori falls asleep and she's very conflicted about herself and these these this guy that she likes or theoretically these two guys, but really it's all about Curly. And so she's working out her feelings in a dream and it just goes weird and whatever, which is delightful. Uh, I'm, I'm super down for dream sequence things, but again, this one just felt like... You know, she's giddy about this fantasy of of being, you know, desired by two men when really she's not desired by either. Um, and so she has to live in this fantasy. Like, I, I get what they're going for, but for me, that wasn't enough. Like, without that connection to the form and the structure of the song without caring or having an affinity for you know and it's it's 50s musical number but it even goes back if you reverse the genders of course it goes back much further right, with like the one guy with. with the yeah all the chorus girls um right right yeah right um but i don't like i just kept waiting for it to be funnier or for like and you know you know i love a pun i it's math jokes this should be like right 
like in the Venn diagram of things I like, you know, but it just, and, and it doesn't the, the, the Marilyn voice, um, which, um, I know some people were, were also complimenting the, there being some Carol Channing in there. Um, cause of course she predated that role, the Marilyn role in gentlemen prefer blondes when it was on Broadway before it was made into a movie. Um, was is also just kind of annoying to me in a in a um in in a world you know the, the movie in a world where they're talking about baby speak and up speak um i get annoyed with that and because it, it of course it makes sense for rebecca to be putting all that on but it just i just didn't care for it i don't know sure. what do you think about it well like i said like when i was prefacing it is like the number goes on too long um i agree um, but I also feel like those numbers go on too long anyway within mm-hmm. their their movies that they're homaging with this. Like, I mean, I'm also one of those people who, like, I love Singing in the Rain. It's one of my favorite movies. But Beautiful Girls is way too long. <laughs> Beautiful Girls is way too long, but actually my issue with that movie is actually the the, the dream ballet because mm-hmm. it comes out of nowhere and has no business being in that movie based on the time period. It's mm-hmm. totally discontinuous to the 1930s late 1920s because it's all about the 1950s mm-hmm. and it has no business being there um <laughs> and that really irritates me it also like kills like the movie when it only has technically 10 minutes left and it's just like why is this here other than because gene kelly wanted to do modernist dance um god bless gene kelly yeah, uh, I just, it's so good though that i don't care Whereas I'm all about, like, this has no business... Anyway, we're getting off At track. least it has a storyline to it, you know? Yes, it does have a storyline to it, and we can also discuss these dream ballets. And Citrice. In... But, okay, mm-hmm. another time. Right. Well, no, and we can, like, dive into them much closer in um, two weeks, actually. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, so, so, yeah, I was, like, it's too long. I don't like the Marilyn voice either, even though, again, like... I think that the big thing with me is that while I like the number just fine, it's also, it's such a long and it's too much of an homage almost mm-hmm. that it just, it's, it gets wrapped up in itself. Yeah. And I think that's where, what happens, even though the number still provides really good commentary on Rebecca's mental state in that, like you said, she's just interested in this narrative that she's constructing herself. And that she's giddy at this idea of two men being after her, even though neither of them is actually all that interested any longer. And in fact, the other thing that I latched onto going back to this idea of it being tied to classic Hollywood is that her whole run to the airport, the thing at the end, and all this is very classic romantic drama type stuff. And so the number feels of a piece of this kind of larger thematic homage that they're doing, but it still ended up feeling kind of disjointed a little bit for me. Um, and that sort of thing. So, yeah, I'm just, I'm, I'm, of the episode so far, I think that this is my least, the least interesting one that they've, of the three that they've done so far. Um, but I still really like what they're doing, and I think my only question remaining for you is, do you think Greg gets on the plane now? Based on a few things, including cast members we know are in the season that haven't shown up yet, and, um, rumors 
amongst some fans of like a disconnect between Santino Fontana and the rest of the cast, um, which may not exist, but you know, there are people, some people are talking about that in the comment section over at DAV club, which well, I made me go, what? you know, lots hmm. of people think that Julianne Margulies and Archie Panjabi hate each other. And apparently nothing could be further from the truth. Yeah. But that <laughs> didn't affect that show at all. Did it? Um, and the fact, and also just the fact that the ad, the titles for, for this season, all signs point to Josh or is it Josh's friend? Not, or is it Greg? That that's a level of distancing um, that makes me think that, yeah, I wouldn't have thought that a couple weeks ago, but it's been bothering me. Why, why do they specifically say Josh's friend and not Greg when he's a main character on the show? Um, Cause that, that feels like they're trying to distance Rebecca and her relationship with Greg to being, no, he's still Josh's friend in her mind. Um, and I'm probably reading way too much into this. We know how I love to do that, but, um, you never, yeah. So, so that's why I'm thinking maybe he does. What do you think? Mm -hmm. Well, you know, I guess you've seen it. <laughs> Fair enough. No comments. From I mean, Noel. I, I mean, I can tell you and you can just edit this part. Out. No, don't tell me. Don't tell me. Don't tell me. <laughs> okay. Um, but yeah, so that's where I'm at with it. Um, Hmm. Any other thoughts on this episode? No, no other thoughts about this episode. Um, yeah, no. Um, I don't. What was the Paula stuff in this episode? Because I don't remember. Pregnancy scare. <laughs> Pregnancy scare. Right. Um, how are you feeling about that? Like, um, Nick watched this. Uh, Nick, who came on to talk about the state, he texted me yesterday to watch it while he was watching it, and he was just like, and I, I agree with him to an extent. Like, the pregnancy scare feels like too much almost like mm -hmm. it's like a well, why can't she just go to law school why does she have to deal with this on top of her fracturing relationship with rebecca and so how are you feeling about that particular issue um i think it's a shame that just jane happened to do a very similar to where i'm guessing this is headed storyline like right at the same time but the only thing with this to me is why wouldn't they immediately say okay, then you, we should, you know, you should get an abortion. We shouldn't have another kid. We can't afford another kid anyways. Um, you know, we're scraping by as it is. Um, and then they're taking on the debt, presumably of law school so that, um, she can, you know, finally have this fulfillment that she's, that's been so lacking in her life. Um, this direction, cause the kids are finally old enough that she can, you know, be doing this. Um, it just seemed like the fact that this is a question and a conversation for these characters didn't feel authentic to me. Um, that's kind of where I'm expecting this to go. But again, you've seen a couple episodes that I haven't, so I'm not going to ask you anything about it, but that's, that's sort of what I'm expecting. And I do think, well, again, I, we had a similar thing with Zoe, um, in, on, on, on Jane. I do think it actually is a really great opportunity for the show to talk about the, demographic of women who get abortions most frequently because it's people like Paula. That is who goes to get abortions overwhelmingly. Like that's, that's the majority of, of women who are, go to get an abortion is because they can't afford another kid. They already have kids probably, you know, like they might be married. Um, and just then they're older, you know? Um, so I think it's good to, to talk about that. Uh, but I, I can agree that, like, and, and juxtaposing all these flights of fancy with Rebecca with real shit that Paul is dealing with, like, that works very effectively. But, um, but yeah, I did have a little bit of, like, why is this a conversation? Mm -hmm. I don't know. Yeah, Any thoughts on that? 
Yeah, no, like, I mean, when I watched this, I was, I was in, like, kind of the same camp that Nick was. I was just, like, it felt like a lot. And, like, you, um, because I hadn't seen the Jane episode before this, so, like, this idea of an abortion didn't factor into, like, how I was immediately responding to the episode. And I didn't have an opportunity to rewatch it, but, like, hindsight being twenty twenty, and you discussing it, it was just, like, it felt very much like it should have been part of that discussion. Mm -hmm. And... Yeah, so it's one of those things where I really do feel like a lot of this is building up. Like, your point about Rebecca's flight of, flights of fancies and um, Paula dealing with real shit, I think it feeds into this steady fracturing of their relationship that we're kind of, like, starting to see little fissures of anyway between Paula having the friendship contract to Rebecca not getting the literal the uh, letter of recommendation in time. Yeah. I think that this is just another way for the show to find, really drive home the fact that Rebecca, A, needs help, but B, that Rebecca needs to be aware of what her friend is going through and is just not aware. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think that's, that's an excellent point. Um, and we'll see where it goes next um hopefully somewhere good soon but you know it's a little early in the season for things to be getting better so we'll see um <laughs> what wins your week in comedy that's a great question um i'm going to i'm going to cheat and take a minute to just mention yuri on ice which is a really good anime you can watch on crunchyroll or funimation um you can watch subtitles on crunchyroll or you can watch um w watch it on dubbed already on funimation which is great um, if you're into dubs. Um, but it's really good ice skating show. I'm going to try and talk about it more next week. But it was really good this week. Um, it was really, really good last week. But it's very good. I'll elaborate more on it. But it was, it's a really fun queer, not gay, but queer in the way that Hannibal was queer um, for a very long time. A uh, show about ice skating. It's really, really good. I really recommend it if you need something very funny and different from a lot of stuff that you're watching right now. Um, so that one's my week. Uh, what won your week this week? Uh, I'll give it to, to better things. Um, I mean, cause I, again, I watched a bunch of episodes this week and, uh, this is the last opportunity for quite a while to, to give it any love. And certainly it's, it's deserved that. Um, so, uh, really enjoyed the finale and the, the, the construction of the show, the characterization of the characters and, and the way it all sort of, feels of a piece and so so distinct to to those to the to sam and to her world so i'm gonna give it to better things now we'll take a break listen to some more music and come back with our weekend genre and drama This week in 
genre and drama. Noel's going to talk a bit about The Crown because you finished the season. Uh, I'm going to talk very briefly, uh, very briefly, about Lethal Weapon, Ties That Bind, and then Queen Sugar So Far and Rectify, Bob and Carol, and Ted Jr. and Alice. And then we'll round things out with Supergirl Crossfire. So first up is The Crown. How did the rest of the season go for you? Right. Uh, So last season, um, uh, last season, good grief, last week, I said, like, I couldn't really make a recommendation either way about it because I'd only seen an episode and a half. Um, I don't feel like I can still make a recommendation. Um, in terms of the fact that the the non-surprise is that Claire Foy and Matt Smith are amazing. But we knew that was going to be the case because we already knew they were amazing. <laughs> um, so I think that where I was, like, running into, like, little problems with The Crown was that it's really well acted, it looks amazing, and it should, considering how much Netflix paid for this, um, is that it can feel very airless at times in terms of, like, not a wax museum, which is something that can happen with a lot of these shows, but the central tenant of this season is that Elizabeth is navigating trying to exert authority in a position that has very limited places in which she can exert any actual authority. And even in those places where she can exert authority, tradition and hierarchy and everything else thwarts her. And she just succumbs to those things in most for most of these instances, as is what's going to happen in a young woman in the 1950s, even if she is the Queen of England. And so the show becomes like this navigation and explore. God damn it. <laughs> becomes this um, exploration of how she tries to figure out ways to exert her agency. And when she is able to do that and, especially from Foy's performance level, when she's able to do that, the show suddenly just takes off. It sings in a way that it just doesn't um, at any other point in the show. So, like, episode seven is, like, the big standout for me in this case, um, mainly because she gets to yell at two men, which is fantastic. Um, And it's great. It's wonderful. Um, And there's also some really great jabs at Eisenhower in that episode as well, which were also really great, but now we're all wishing for Eisenhower. Um, And so that's kind of where I am. Like, so when, or where she has issues with um, Philip, who's played by Matt Smith, and like where their marriage really comes to the forefront within episodes, the show also really sings. But like the navigation of politics, um, which happens a lot with Churchill, and um and Lithgow is Kate, I don't know if you know this about me, but I really love John Lithgow. I think mm-hmm. he's phenomenal in any number of things. Like I grew up watching Third Rock from the Sun, and that was like my favorite show for years in middle school. And I've loved John Lithgow pretty much ever since then. I have always wondered why those kids in the Footloose town were so mean to him. And um he's not good here. Um, in part because the accent's really slippery, like he's not able to maintain it. Um, and there are instances where he kind of just goes full Dick Solomon and it's bad. Like it's, it, a lot of it is just, I've, it's not good. It's like really uncomfortable to watch. 
Um, and I think part of that's just the writing, but I also think he's just kind of miscast for this role. And I think a lot of it is also just costuming and the prosthetics that they did to like kind of convey Churchill um, just doesn't work for me in a lot of ways. And that was that was really frustrating. Luckily, from both me and for him to a lesser extent, like the season wraps up in like 1955, 1957, and Churchill's on his way out as prime minister. And so the likelihood of him being back next season in any prolonged capacity is like really low. Um, and yeah, so it's, it's something that I know a lot of people really, really enjoyed and latched onto as like good comfort food in the lead up to the election. I just ended up watching a bunch of studio Ghibli films after I finished the crown. And, um, but I think that it's really good for, the aesthetics and also really great for Foy and Smith. I can't like wholeheartedly recommend it, but I think that this is one of these shows where I would have enjoyed it more had I not watched it all at once. Okay. And if I had done like a week to week, I probably would have been better off. Um, so like when season two drops, because they're already in production for season two, because again, Netflix spent a hundred million dollars on this to court British viewers for the most part. Um, I'll probably, like, go back to it and watch it, like, uh, like one a week, basically. But watching it all at once I don't think was the best way for me to consume this particular show. Um, but I'll keep doing it because I want to watch Claire Foy and Matt Smith up until they probably ha- have to leave. Mm-hmm. Um, since the, sh- the show is dead set on following through six seasons, six decades... Um, a decade a season, basically, um, up to the present. Um, yeah, so not something I can wholeheartedly recommend. It's a very cautious recommendation. Um, but if you're into this kind of period piece, if you're okay with watching a show with more rich white British people, which I know a number of people on my Twitter feed were not, um, mm-hmm. let alone which right, w- rich white British people who also happen to be monarchists, um, <laughs> were not engaged by this at all or even willing to entertain watching it um then this is something to check out um and i also have a huge crush on vanessa kirby who plays princess margaret now uh because she's also really good but she's also really pretty (laughs) fair enough yeah i was i was intending to watch the first two of of this but i didn't uh for reasons all of our listeners will be able to uh intimate um so we'll see if i if i make time for it uh, but I'm not going to make myself make time for it like I would have, because as, pre, as we discussed in the opening of this episode. So we'll see if I if I drop in, and if I do, I will give you my thoughts. But that's I'm glad that there are those like those moments. Do you think I could like just like jump in on episode seven and it would have that power for me, or not really? Mm, I think out of context you would probably appreciate it. Um, but I also think that you need that buildup of her basically being thwarted and talked down to by men for a little while for there to be that kind of a catharsis. Okay, fair enough. Yeah. Well, we'll see, we'll see what happens. If nothing else, uh, I look forward to it winning all of the Emmys for all Ugh, of the pretty yeah. things. Yes, fair yeah. enough. Um, our next episode here is Lethal Weapon, Ties That Bind. And I wanted to just mention it because I watched about 30 seconds of this episode. Noel, I know that you didn't get to this one. Um, this episode begins with a young woman uh, in a negligee, a white negligee, uh, who's terrified, running down a street, I believe barefoot, running down a street, um, like, glancing over her sh- her shoulder, like, like, clearly she's 
been terrorized and or sobbing. Um, and then a mysterious figure running her over a, with a car into a tree. Okay. And we watch her die in the tree. Okay. Yeah. And when I saw that, I said, I started to be really upset as they then cut to um, Riggs, like, waking up and getting into, like, at, at the beach and his, his trailer or whatever, and then, like, starting to have, like, uh, hilarious uh, interactions with his neighbors who are annoying and, you know, like, standard lethal love and stuff. And, and I said, you know what? This... I stopped watching... I didn't watch Stalker, and I... I vocally condemned Stalker for exploitative, unnecessary, um, seeming enjoyment of terrorizing women and, and start like starting episodes by watching us, by, by showing us their grisly, terrified, horrible, horrible deaths. Why would I accept that from Lethal Weapon? However many years later. I shouldn't. And so I stopped watching it. And I'm going to not watch Lethal Weapon anymore. If, if people tell me that they... Because they haven't done this really before now. They've showed people die, but they haven't lingered in terror yeah. and in victimization. Um, so if people tell me that they don't... This is like a fluke and they don't do it again, um, maybe I'll come back to it. It's a shame because you know I'm a vocal proponent of Clint Crawford big fan of his um and i've really enjoyed actually the like the potential of what lethal weapon the tv show could become even if it's not quite there yet um but that's some bullshit and uh it's not okay and there's not enough time in 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 life to put up with and support through viewing and talking about shows that do this so i'm done with lethal weapon uh did, 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 was anybody else talking about this i don't feel like I saw anything. No, but it also probably got drowned out. I, I would mean, imagine. This, this is I, an episode that... Like, I went to this for escapism, you know? Right, and I mean, like, this episode aired on Wednesday. Yeah. Um. So it's just like, I mean, a number of shows came back on Wednesday, and, like, I mean, obviously everyone just went, oh, well, it'll be fine. And it was just, like, a terrible idea. Um, <laughs> yeah. So... Yeah, no one was talking about it. Um, but also, yeah, like, yeah, no one was talking about it. I didn't see it mentioned, but I have seen most of the TV critics on, like, my Twitter feed go, I don't have anything to say right now, and, like, I, 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 I don't really see the point in talking about anything right now. Yeah. Um, so. Fair enough, which, you know, is... I, I, I was I was tweeting quite a bit today. I've started retweeting a lot of other people. Um but yeah, you like the I spent Wednesday not tweeting stuff out, retweeting other people um, when I felt appropriate. But there are people who are smarter and more informed and more eloquent than I who can talk right, you know, right now. Unless it's about TV, and then I'll and how I'm feeling about stuff and how that relates to TV. I'll tweet about that. But most of the time, I, I completely understand the, you know, stay, staying off of Twitter at this time um uh, speaking of you know kind of processing and dealing with what 
you're experiencing through TV. Uh, I wanted to mention Queen Sugar so far and rectify Bob and Carol and Ted Jr. and Alice because I was originally not going to watch these this week. I was going to like catch up I with know. them next week. You were um, just like, I don't, I'm not going to watch these. I'm just I don't like, think... great. I can't watch these right now either. And then you did. Yeah. Well, just... <laughs> yeah. Cause I was just like, they're so, again, they're so emotional and they're so yeah. full and there's, you know, there's, they can be um, challenging and emotional and draining to watch on a good day, on right. a day when you're up for it. Um, but I did, I did watch them today uh, as we record. I, wa- I waited a couple days, um, and I was surprised to find Rectify actually really soothing. I tweeted about this a little bit, but because you're watching people who are who are good people but can't see a clear path in front of them and don't they're lost they don't really know what to do but they're and they're trying and sometimes it feels like it's pointless but they're still trying and that was really reassuring yeah um there's some stuff there's one like development in this episode that i'm a little question mark about but we'll see we'll see we got more time with tawny and with teddy and the stuff with with um with with Ted Senior and with Janet is continues to be really tough, but I I, li- I liked what we got with Amantha um, here, and yeah, I continue to I continue, I just really like the show, and and I was surprised that I actually found it really um, surprisingly soothing to watch. Um, so yeah, so this is episode three out of eight, so we're close to the halfway point for the season, but. Um, but yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm going to miss it when it's gone. And as for Queen Sugar, it was most of the episode was solid and kind of in the same vein of what we've been seeing. And then the end was really powerful and really connected viscerally to what this week has been and to the subtext of of the voting results and to the idea of like this, one of the things I've been struggling with this week is this idea of how far backwards we're probably going to go in civil rights and in women's reproductive rights and in so much and how long it's going to take to refight these battles. Um, and the idea that it's not even my generation that I'll be fighting for because that's over. It's going to be the next one. And how many times do you have to keep fighting these things? Um, and what does that cost and what is that worth? Um, so to, to see the unintentional, (laughs) uh, parallels in, in discussion and in, um, in theme in the end of this week's episode of Queen Sugar was really powerful. And, um, when you're ready for it, I do not begrudge anyone who's not up for it. I totally understand. Um, but those who are, uh, I'd encourage you to to watch this week's episode of Queen Sugar. Um, so let's move on to another episode, our last episode of the week, and one that certainly I was ready for, that it was very comforting to me. That was Supergirl Crossfire, because I needed sunshine and daisies, and if the Flash had come by and brought ice cream, that would have been lovely. Um, there's some, you know, it's not all sunshine and daisies, but there's a lot of silliness. There's a lot of trying to understand each other. And just what we were talking about with Supergirl, it was the last week or the week before, Noel, just ranks even more true for me this week. I don't, like, I don't want to hear anybody saying that, oh, but it's not, it's so ham-fisted. It's not subtle at all about its optimism and its, its morality and its all of this. Like, I don't care. 
I need blatant in my in my entertainment right now. Apparently, a lot more of our country needs blatant. Um, it, at least that's what I think. And so I was again, yes, some of this dialogue wasn't great. Um, some of it was like you're really gonna have them both like at, like we're gonna have a character ask a question they would never ask because they would understand the subtext, and another character make the subtext text. Yeah, normally that would ding it for me, but this week. I'm all I'm here for it. And that's not even starting on the great stuff we got with Alex. Um, what did you think of Crossfire? I liked it. Um, so I had been like not sure about Chris Wood in this, um, in part because like Monel had been like kind of unclear about like what his character was going to be as a Daxum might and how that was all gonna play out. So now it's like, oh, he's just gonna be a goofball who's really handsome. Mm. A Chris Wood is really good at this. Like, he's really funny. And B, I like what it, like, it just allows Melissa Benoist to do a bunch of reaction shots. And I am here for Melissa Benoist doing reaction shots to ice cream, Mm -hmm. to coffee, to sex in the copy room. (laughs) (laughs) I'm very much here for all of these things. Um, And it's very funny. And I really like it. I like the fact that he loves licorice, even though licorice is the worst. It's the worst. It's disgusting. I cannot stand licorice of any type. But it's just, it's all really good. And I, I like how we're navigate. <laughs> Everybody drink, drink for navigating. <laughs> drink for navigating. It's in my head. And I don't know why. How they're dealing with different types of basically immigrant experiences and when you're coming into what stage in life you're in, how you respond to these things, and just this idea that Carl was just like, I had to figure out seventh grade. All he has to do is figure out how to be an intern. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I like all of this and how it's playing out. I'm I'm eager to see like what Monel does now that he doesn't have to be an intern at Capco. Um, so all of that was really funny. I liked um, the other thing I will say is about this episode um, to say nothing of like the Alex stuff, which I think is something that we need to dig into. Obviously, um, even though I'm also pretty sure that Lena is super into Kara, mm-hmm. but that may just be me. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, if she is, kudos on the taste. Mm-hmm. Um, is that this is probably, this episode is by far and away the best, I think, the McCod Brooks has been since the show has started. Um, that scene where he is, as Jimmy, sorry, James, explaining why he needs to be a hero. And I mean, A, it's kind of a hokely written type of speech, like we're getting to. It's like very on the nose type of stuff. But Brooks finds it. And he's like, this is by far the way the best he's been for me. Like, there's some really subtle stuff going on with his facial work in that scene. There's some really good voice work that he's doing. It's just, it's all really well done. And it's because they're finally defining the character in a way that he gets to define himself. As opposed to as get defined by his relationship to Clark Kent slash Superman as a way to be defined by his um, relationship to Lucy or his relationship to Kara. And furthermore, it's a way that these people aren't 
Kara and Lucy aren't describing him to each other or to other people. He gets to describe himself. And suddenly James Olsen has something to say and some sort of agency and some sort of idea, some sort of perspective that he wants to voice in a way that he just hasn't had before. And it was really interesting to see Brooks really get involved in that, even if it's also in a way falling victim to the fact that now they're on the CW. So everyone needs to be a goddamn superhero. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. There's um, that. There's that aspect of it that I don't particularly like. Um, but I'm just glad that he's he's finding something to do and that James has a perspective now. And I'm really excited about that. Um, so, yeah, before we like dive into anything else, how did you feel about Monel? How did you feel about James and his ascension into being coming, as they've already said in the press, guardian? a character that you're now passingly familiar with because of Young Justice. <laughs> Which, by the way, we didn't mention, but it's coming back. Yes, it is because of us. Yes, clearly that's what happened. Um, the, the the only thing I have with Monel, and that stuff was, was really fun, is the show and, and Kara, but the show's giving him way too big a pass for being a, a exploitative jerk. Yes. Because uh, there hasn't been a single comment on, on that and him, like, abusing the, his ridiculously good looks and, like, <laughs> you know, like, his strength and all this different stuff that he, special powers he has. Um, and it makes sense that, you know, if he's already a little morally, you know, flexible. Those those Daxamites, man. Those well, Daxamites. Well, just, like, you know, <laughs> you could understand him exploiting that a bit, but... It seemed a little odd that Kara didn't give him a harder time for pawning off all of his work to this this girl, who, the other person in the workplace, Miss Tessmacher, who um, is willing to do it. It's not like she's being duped or anything, and she clearly can handle that uh, that much. Or she's very, she's very capa uh, capable, is what I'm saying. Like it's not like it's outside of her sphere or anything. But um, there's a little there. The show so far, at least, is a little too in love with his roguish charm. Um, right. There should be someone calling him on on that. Um, but we'll see what that that might still happen. Uh, and I also really like, um, I, you know, like again, everybody has to be a superhero. I'm not that interested in that. But I, like you said, I like that they're giving James his own voice, and I really like that they teamed up James and Wynn and gave yes. like changed their dynamic, gave them more to do and gave them a connection that we haven't seen because they had previously been so defined by their uh, crushes on, on Kara or, or, you know, love for Kara. So I was really appreciative of, of, you know, giving them a reason to interact that doesn't in include her technically. Uh, so we'll see, you know, like the, the making Wynn into Cisco 2.0 is disappointing, but if it ain't broke, you know? Yeah, um, it was obviously going to happen as soon as he joined the DEO, let's be honest. Yeah, so it would be, it would have been nice if, if they had something more interesting um, for him, or if, if he felt like a distinct character, which he still isn't, but at least they acknowledge, like, him finding his purpose, and, like, and like they acknowledge the shift in the character in this conversation with, with Wynn and James, which I think is good, and hopefully they will start 
distancing him in some other ways because I think it's a shame because Jeremy Jordan obviously you know Broadway's Jeremy Jordan can handle more if they would just give him more um but you know there's a lot of characters they're juggling right now but we got to talk about Alex um one of our listeners Beth sent um a comment that was on I didn't see where it was from but it was that someone had written um, about how they watch Supergirl with their their husband and their two teenage daughters and that when Alex in this episode starts trying to like grapple with and put words to questioning her sexuality coming out uh, in some way as like, is this questioning if not um, maybe she's gay and she's never really thought about that. And when she has that conversation in the bar, the one of the daughters who's like 13 or something just started crying and asked, is it okay if I feel that way? And it shows you the potential and the power of a show like Supergirl to start conversations to help people who feel who are marginalized and who feel afraid and alone to see themselves on screen. This is the thing we've been talking about all year. We've been talking about it with with Barrier Gaze, with the, with Clexa and with Lexa and the the, the hundred, um, and not to mention the many other you know times that we've been talking about specifically queer representation, but. Um, just all types of representation. It was very well done. I was very glad that they didn't suddenly say, ah, she's been gay the whole time. Um, I think this was a much better way of handling it. And I think Kyler Lee killed her scenes. So I was all for that subplot. I thought they did a really good job. What did, what did you think? No, I absolutely agree. Like, um, I really enjoyed and appreciated how, like how Alex was trying to figure this out. And, like, little new realizations that, I mean, maybe she just, like, again, she kind of just buried in the back of her brain, never really wanted to think about type of thing, or never gave much thought to type of thing. Yeah, not that she's been self-loathing right. and and hiding, the, but just, like, the idea of something clicking that she never, she's always been very work-focused, she doesn't have a lot of spare time anyways. Right, and that spare time that she has, like, experienced things or had sex with men, it's been like, well, it didn't really, yeah. it didn't really work type it's of thing. It's like, okay, is this what everybody makes a big deal about? Yeah. Yeah. And so I feel like that's a very, that has to be a very real thing. Like, I mean, I've, 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 talk to people who've like had that kind of same type of like that's how it started type of thing um so i felt like that that was a very authentic type of way to start that and like to your point with the email that we received is that this is something that is how this functions for a lot of people and how this works and how they come to a realization so i really appreciated that that was that was involved in this conversation for her um so I liked again how like their the two to and fro with Maggie and Alex was a little eh, but I, it was important for Alex as a character to like kind of get us up to speed basically and to get her up to speed, and so I liked how all of that played out and I was very glad that that's how this played out and like you said i was very much glad it wasn't a oh well she's been gay all along we just decided not to do anything with it last year um (coughs) i pay no attention to the obvious pairing we were trying to make happen with the lack of chemistry with uh lord max is it max peter facinelli and 
Yeah, Max Lord. What, what yeah, was it was Max name? Lord and Alex. Yeah, Max Lord. Yeah. So, and and if anything, it's even just more fits the canon even better. It's like, yeah, yeah there there's some flirtation and it wasn't going anywhere. It didn't feel right. It was stupid. Now that makes even more sense. Um, the other thing that I loved about that the way that they this episode handled that development and that dynamic is that it's not unlike something like like way hot over on when on earth it's not like ahaha light bulb let's start making out it's i've realized something about myself and i need to figure it out i'm gonna go because it's not you know like she's alex needs to process she needs to think about stuff she needs to decide what she's gonna do um and what she feels and all of this stuff and so she's not just jumping into making out with with um Maggie. That's you know, I like I really appreciated that. I really appreciated that it's like this dynamic between the two of them is not just she's there so that they can become an item. It's she's they're friends and this other stuff is is popping up between them and for, for Alex as well. I like that that it it's not just like, oh, now I realize I'm gay. Let's make out so the fruit stuff. It's gonna it's gonna be treated with um more it's gonna take longer than that for Alex. There are other shows that do that, like Way Hot. I think they handle that really well over on, on Winona Earth. Um but that was a different story. It was a different like figuring yourself out storyline. And so I think that it was nice. I, I appreciated that. Yeah, because I also feel like Maggie wouldn't have been Super down for that down for that no because i mean she's very much a she's super conscious of the fact that alex is unsure and um trying like maybe starting to figure some stuff out so like that would probably be the least good idea for both of them and yeah. especially like with where they're set up maggie as just getting out of some sort of a relationship and so I no, I think that that was a very good way for them to start this conversation, basically on the show, um, and figure out when Alex is going to tell Kara and how she's going to tell Kara. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I look forward to to seeing the way. That, I mean, this show has given me a lot of reasons to trust it in this this sphere in this realm, and I really look forward to seeing how 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 Alex and her figuring out her sexuality and how that affects and doesn't, I assume that's what I'm expecting. It doesn't affect several of their relationships in her life. Um, I really look forward to seeing what this show does with it. And again, after it's, it's just such a lovely thing to see the show introduce in its second season, after seeing the very strong positive response of the fans to the very shipping and, and, uh, <laughs> Like like Supernatural has Wincest, and there there was there was a lot of people going like, well, but Kara and Alex aren't actually related, <laughs> you know. So they went a different way, which I personally appreciate. I love the sister bond on the show. Um, would not have wanted them to go there. Uh, this is an HBO, um, but um, but yeah, I, I think this was a really smart thing for the show to do and to recognize that it had this fan base and it could tell this story and, and have it make sense and have it fit the show and fit the characters and feel, fit the ethos. Um, so I, I'm really looking forward to what comes next. Me too. Well, what wins your week in genre and drama? Um, 
since I had such a very limited um, <laughs> palette. Um, is it episode seven of The Crown? <laughs> it is not episode seven of The Crown. Um, no, I'll give it to uh, Supergirl this week with the added addition of the fact that I really like the fact that Katie McGrath kind of looks like Brenda Strong from certain angles. So the fact mm-hmm. that they're mother and daughter, I'm even more here for. <laughs> so no, I'll give it to Supergirl this week. What about you? Um, I will, um, I'm going to give it to Supergirl as well. Otherwise I'd give it to like the last couple minutes of Queen Sugar, but I, I feel like that's kind of cheating. So I'll give it, I'll give it to Supergirl, um, as well. So again, very glad to have that, to have M- M- Melissa Benoist and the bubble of joy that is Melissa Benoist most of the time on the show, um, in my TV viewing right now. Um, a few show notes here at the end of our week in TV. You can find the post-it for this episode at theteleverse.org and let us know what you thought of the week's TV. You can email us, theteleverse at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook, like the page, and start up a conversation there. You can also uh, find us on iTunes with an M4A chaptered feed and an MP3 unchaptered feed. And you can also find us in Stitcher. Ratings and reviews do help other people find the show. So we appreciate any of those. And, of course, we're both on Twitter. I'm at the Televerse And, Noel, you are? At Noel RK. And you can find my Flash pieces over at uh, tvguide.com when Flash is actually on. Yes. Um, Now we will take a break and come back with friend of the show, Zach Hanlon of the AV Club, to talk about the British hangout and drinking and wine, right? Hangout and wine? Hangout and wine. Yep, hangout and wine. Uh, Black Books. We'll be right back after this. Right, the shop is closed. Everybody get out. Time to go home. Come on. It's only quarter to three. Yes, but it's my shop. Come on, go home. Bye-bye. Thank you. That's hardly fair. It's not fair at all. Get out. Bye-bye. I expect better service. We'll expect a way. Get out. Bye-bye. Come on, all your time-wasting bastards. Back on the streets. Come on. Bye-bye-bye. Goodbye. Thank you. Bye-bye-bye. Back to life. Back to reality. Thank you. back with the televerse this is kate Kalsik, joined as ever by noel kirkpatrick and this week at the dvd show we're welcoming back friend of the show from the ev club zach handlin zach welcome back thank you uh and it's been too long so very glad you're, you're joining us again and this week we're talking about a show that i had heard of a few times because it had come up with other guests as like like on a short list of shows to talk about but i'd never seen I didn't know anything about it, and that is the British comedy uh, sitcom Black Books. So uh, apparently, I just this is just like a big gap in my like British TV knowledge because again, a bunch of other people had mentioned it, at least three or four other guests, uh, but I had no I had no idea what it was. So thank you, Zach, for getting me to fill in this apparent gap. I have no, <laughs> <laughs> like I have no idea why. Like I knew. Um, Dylan Moran, uh, who's one mm-hmm. of the stars and the, the co-creator, and of course, you know, Bill Bailey, and people keep popping up on the show from many other British sitcoms from the, you know, the late 90s, early 2000s, uh, which is when this aired on, on Channel 4, that I was very familiar with, but for whatever reason, this has slipped through the cracks. So, uh, for, for the listeners out there who are like myself, or before, you know, obviously this, this getting ready for this segment, uh, Zach, what, why don't you let us know, what is Black Books? What is it about? 
Uh, well, it's a it's a British sitcom uh, about a uh, maybe the worst used bookstore in London, um, run by uh, this very sordid sort of kind of the quintessential sort of um, self destructive British type. I'm not even sure. To me, it just sums up so quintessentially. Like when I was in like high school and college, there'd always be the the guys who were like really into all the Monty Python stuff, and they'd always wear long black coats and smoke closed cigarettes and have wine, and they'd always be very clever. And and Dylan Moran in this, he plays Bernard, and Bernard is kind of the quintessential, to the point where he's not, he's not insufferable like those guys are. He's just this very like misanthrope who just runs this use. There's a, a bit on the Wikipedia page where they say that the reason they wanted to have it in a bookstore was be, a used bookstore was because used bookstores are doomed enterprises. <laughs> so that the idea was because they knew because like these, these shops are never going to succeed. And over the course of the series, he's never, he's terrible, terrible, terrible bookstore owner. And, um, and his, and on the very first episode, uh, Bernard, who's this very high strung, very sweet, uh, very nice guy played by, uh, Bill, Bill Bailey, um, sorry oh, if I get the name. Manny right. is. Man, yeah, Manny. Sorry, I just got. The, yeah, see, I see. I already <laughs> had some wine beforehand. No, um, a Manny, who's this very high strung, very nice guy. He he like kind of wigs out of his corporate job and he he starts working at the the, the, the used bookstore. And it's um, the tension between the two of them, where Manny is very much a like competent person and Bernard is very much the opposite of that. And Bernard clearly resents being around a competent person while at the same time, recognizing that he desperately needs a competent person in his life uh, is one of the giant kind of driving forces of the series. And then there's uh, uh, Bernard's friend, Fran, um, who works next door. Um, I, I don't know how to pronounce her. Is it Tamson? Tamson. Yeah. 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 That's, that's actually not that hard. Tamson, Greg, um, she runs her own shop nearby. I I'm explaining it too much. It's very much a, it's a workplace sitcom, but it's just very, it's one of those very, very wonderful comfort food type shows where you just kind of hang out with these characters and um, and they're, they're in a bookstore, which is always makes me happy. So um, yeah, it, it's not it's not really a high high concept show. Um, that it gets kind of uh, it can get very sitcommy. They have some sort of, but it has that kind of surreal edge that um, if you've watched Spaced. It's not as thoroughly plotted as Space was, because um, Space was very much a show about character arcs, but it has that same sort of feel of, like, this is in the real world, basically, but weird stuff can happen. Um, like Dave Syndrome, which is a real thing, everyone. Dave Syndrome is real. I suffer from it. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, yeah, th this is... It's a work... I guess it is a workplace comedy, because they're in... But it's really just a hangout comedy... With yeah. an excuse for the for for them to be hanging because like they live there too and they live in the the flat above the bookstore or next to the I can't quite tell the geography. Of oh, this. they live. Uh, uh, Bernard and Manny live in a room behind the bookstore. Behind uh, the bookstore. Very, yeah, there might be like there might be bedrooms above it, but they have like their kitchen area and bathroom area. There's like yeah. a curtain between, like right behind Bernard's desk, like the sort of checkout desk, and like. There's this awful. It's it. I don't know if you've ever like. It's like the young ones' apartment back there. It's like a constant state of like barely controlled chaos. Well, and uh, the, there's also the 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 lady who owns the building, who then is succeeded by a cat owning the building, who lives upstairs too. So the 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 sleep upstairs. There's the extra room is upstairs, but the kitchen is downstairs. I shudder to think of the bathroom which also i believe is upstairs 
but uh, it, yes, it is. Young ones. Oh, it is. Okay, I apologize. Yeah, no, no, it, it's that's hence my confusion because parts of the living space are definitely downstairs and parts are definitely upstairs. But the young ones and the the state of tidiness of the young ones, I think, is a very direct parallel with yeah, these yeah. two shows. Noel. And that's what- Oh, sorry, sorry, go ahead. No, yeah, no, 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 no. First, I talked for a while. No, first. Yeah. <laughs> Noel, uh, were you familiar with Black Books before before the segment? Had you watched it previously? Yeah, no. This was actually like a rewatch for me. Um, I had watched this. I think a friend of mine in college, one of those people that um, Zach had described, actually got me onto the show. Uh, <laughs> who smoked close cigarettes and wore long oh, yeah. coats? Um, got me onto the show. So wanted to be them. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so they got me onto the show. I forget how, but then I bought the first two seasons on DVD and introduced it to a number of my friends after I left my first college and went back home and introduced it to a bunch of folks who I knew would really eat it up. And then it just became this thing that we watched like every other weekend when we had bottles of wine. Uh, because how else are you supposed to watch this show? And... <laughs> <laughs> So it became, like, a thing, um, especially, like, season one, we watched a lot and just, like, would start quoting back and forth to one another. And it became uh, just a string of inside jokes between me and, like, three other friends. Um, So I was, I'm intimately familiar with, like, uh, Black Books from watching it basically nonstop for, like, a year. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and... So I, obviously, I take it then that you are a fan of the series. What co- what connects uh, to Noel for you? What what connected you to the, just the sensibilities of it, the the personality of these characters, the uh, I guess strong personality of Bernard, <laughs> uh, or what 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 was your in? Right. So my in was very much uh, Dylan Moran, who I was um, familiar with from some of his stand-up prior to actually having seen this. I had seen some of his stand-up before I had watched this. Um, so that was like a big in when someone suggested it. I went, oh, it's that guy. I like him. His stuff's really good. And so that coupled with just, like Zach mentioned, some of the surreal nature of the show I really enjoyed. So And their willingness to be just kind of wacky they never like went whole hog wacky which i think may have been sometimes a limitation of the show but they always just went wacky enough for me so like one of my favorite episodes is like the lockout um which just has manny stuck drinking abstinence and eating bees and Dylan having a really miserable experience wandering London, watching an experimental film where nothing happens for two hours, getting a job at a fast food place, you know, the usual Saturday. See, I think he got it because it was like raining. He got the job. I think he got the job because it was raining and he didn't want to be yes. outside in the rain. Right. He didn't want to be outside in the no. rain. And Fran was listening to the shipping report because the guy who voiced Darth Maul makes her very aroused. Peter Serafinowitz, you know. Yeah. So like the whole that whole that whole episode for me just really sums up why I like the show because it's these three very bizarre but on some level kind of believable situations that I just really tapped into and plus like it was it was it was the mid aughts for me when I got around to like watching this and so I was like having like a 
early quarter-life crisis, so Bernard's misanthropic nature was deeply appealing to me. So I was tapped into that as well. So that's what channeled the channeled the show pretty deeply for me, even if by, like, halfway through season two and then a little bit into season three, like, for me, the show kind of lost a lot of its luster. Um, but that first, like, season and a half, I think, is just really, really great. What about you, uh, for you, Zach? What, what drew you to Black Books? Why did you want to talk about it? There's a lot of shows. We previously have talked about two fantastic shows, The Prisoner and Invader Zim on the TV show. All three of these very different from each other. What is the... what? sticks out for you with with black books what draws you to it oh it's it's great comfort food um i mean the main reason i i pitched it is just because i've been i had been i got on a kick of watching it recently um and i i can't even i can't honestly remember i think the way i got into the show is like years and years ago i um i was hired to write a book um about stuff you would like if you liked monty python so i was basically like just looking around for anything that was even remotely british and funny and and Black Books was one of the things that popped up. And I remember, I think, I, I, I don't even think it was on Netflix at that point. I rented it from a local video store, and I just really enjoyed it. Um, and it wasn't it wasn't never a show that I would automatically have clicked on as one of my favorites. But it was just this sort of perfect, um, it just sort of stuck with me because that, that sort of, there's a part of me that, as as, as Noel's was, Noel was saying, that just identifies with that Bernard's, Bernard's um, complete uh, dissolution. Just like he's just not... There's. I was watching a bit. Or I was watching an episode today before uh, this came on where he, um, Manny, has left, so he's completely fallen to crap, and uh, he, he sticks his breath, and his breath is bad, so he sticks a, a big brush into a pot of tea and then rubs the brush on his tea on his teeth, like he's brushing his teeth with the tea with the paintbrush that isn't covered with it. Something very very comforting about watching a show where characters just like they just they don't care that much they just they're fine it, it, it brings me back to like kind of my college life was never like that but it kind of makes me imagine what my college life in i like this weird way kind of was that feeling of like oh who cares um <laughs> and and i don't know i mean i my not not to get heavy or anything but my life has been pretty weird the past year or so and i find comfort food stuff like that is really useful like i i went through all of 30 rock again recently and that's another show that i can just always go back to and rewatch. and this one and i do agree with noel it does kind of lose some of its luster as it goes on i feel like when they try to expand the universe of the show it doesn't always work it really needs you really want that core those core the core of those three characters sort of interacting in the space of the shop you want kind of that to be the driving force and it doesn't always it isn't always there but i just found it very i don't know there's something very reassuring about about kind of feeling like you are watching characters who are kind of at their lowest point, but they don't particularly care and they don't seem unhappy. They're just like, whatever. And if they're unhappy, it'll pass. They'll drink some wine. There's, there's, there's no deep existential crises. There's no utter despair. They're just sort of like, yeah, whatever. And I don't know. It's it, it that, I mean, that to me is one of, it's not, I don't think it's a particularly innovative show. I would actually say that like something like space is probably better in terms of like, narrative focus and character growth and just in terms of ambition it's a very much like a sitcom um like a very classical idea of what you think of when you think of when you're a kid where you like like those ideas of shows that don't there's no serialization there's no the characters never really change that much but it, it that there is a place for that and the, the sort of comfort of watching a show where you know these people are never going to leave the places they're in right there and they're totally and it's not happy exactly but you're fine with it because you just get to spend time with them well what i appreciate or one of the things i appreciate about the show is that it's sort of it almost it feels like 
sort of the later seasons of something like How I Met Your Mother when everybody should have, uh, most of us watching, I think, did, just kind of realize that everybody's terrible um, and they <laughs> stop apologizing for it and stop trying to pretend that there's like a normal nice guy center, you know, like when you get several years into a long running sitcom and they've broken down the molds of like the, the, the audience surrogate and this other thing. And the characters are more distinct and they fit together, but it's not like one of them is saddled with, they're the responsible one who keeps all these crazy characters in line. There is no, one of those in this show <laughs> every now and again that role gets like sort of shuffled in and and traded between the three like in in the premiere the series premiere um which is different than the original pilot uh the the manny uh ends or maybe it's the second episode um but manny ends up working at the bookshop and and bernard uh, is gonna uh, kick him out, uh, but Fran recognizes, no, this is, like, you You need this sort of an influence in your life, or you will probably die, <laughs> Bernard. <laughs> so, 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 yeah, he's gotta stay, and she makes him, you know, rehire Manny, but there are plenty of other episodes where Manny is the sane one, or, or Bernard, or Bernard is, uh, and they really, you know, trade that role around and trade around the sense of responsibility and, um, you know, being the one who keeps things a bit more grounded. And and, and I, I can appreciate that. It, it lets the characters feel more distinct and it lets it just really be the sort of mishmash of odd coupledom with no one saddled with being the, the like, the boring, like, girlfriend character or the, like, the put-upon, you know, responsible one. It lets each of the the actors have a bit more fun in their roles. Yeah, no, I'd agree with that. I mean, Fran comes like the closest to being the most put together one, but then she just loses her shop at some point and then just seems to drift and survive somehow. Except, of course, that at some point her super starts shrinking her apartment. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, I feel like Fran's the one that tries to keep the the triad together to keep them stable um but that manny and bernard like at the most need one another because i mean there's an episode where they're just manny buys an entire collection of freud and they just steadily realize how really deranged the relationship is that basically bernard's the dad and manny's the son and they're just constantly like testing one another basically and there's just this weird dynamic between both Manny and Bernard that Fran has to make sure stays stable enough that Manny doesn't quit, except Manny quits at least twice a season <laughs> and then gets rehired and has to be drawn back in somehow because otherwise Bernard's just going to collapse into a heap and he'll have dead badgers in his shop. <laughs> well, and we should also mentioned a season is six episodes so quitting twice a season that's pretty frequent um yeah i feel, I feel like i feel like the show did struggle a little in terms of um and kind of coming up with with story stuff and i'm not each, i'm not exactly sure why but it feels like because like the, the bookshop is such a terrific source but apart from those three characters there are no recurring character real recurring characters on the show like you get people you recognize from like other stuff, like Simon Pegg shows up, and, or like various other people that you know. But like there are no, there are no other forces, and there's no, and there's also no real pressure apart from the tension between Manny and Bernard because Manny, okay, is it Bernard or Bernard? 
It probably is Bernard, but part of me wants to call it Bernard, and I, I feel like we're no, gonna no, go no. It's it's back. either it's either way. I'm just being uppity by saying it in a slightly British way. Yeah, the British. No, no, no. Kate said Bernard, it, Bernard. Kate, and then Bernard, yeah, and then you went back and forth, and I would say Bernard, and then I went back to Bernard, and I was like, crap, it's gonna be those things <laughs> they list really, really depressed. Um, anyway, the Dylan Moran. Uh, uh, <laughs> yeah, it, it sort of feels like they um they don't have that sort of pressure because like the, the, the dysfunctional nature of their relationship means outside cues to push it forward or else they just have to have Manny quit again. That's pretty much the only plot. Cause Fran is not going to do anything. Bernard is not ever going to, I mean, they had a thing briefly where he wanted to get a girlfriend and it sort of made sense, but it also just sort of seemed to sort of counter to everything that's sort of what he stands for. <laughs> like having a strong desire to do anything that involves change and betterment seemed a very odd choice for him. Um, so yeah, I feel like it's, it's one of those things and I, I'm not quite, I have to really sit down and think about it, um, but it does feel like the show might've struggled a little bit to come up with, uh, it, 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 it definitely feels like this sort of show where as much as I love spending time in that universe, I, I don't really regret that there are only 18 episodes of it. It feels like they made the most of what they had. Well, and one of the things I appreciate about the short run is that it, they they didn't fall into some of the patterns we expect from shows that, that run longer with this type of a dynamic. So we don't get the, uh, how long be- before Fran and Bernard realize they're meant for each other. And they, they, <laughs> they mess, they toy with that a little bit. They have, because the, the characters are self-aware enough to address that. Um, but yeah. there isn't like a, really this story has been a love story all, because it's not. And it, I'm also one of those people who does doesn't think that's what spaced is about, and I know I'm like the only one who doesn't think that's what spaced is about. But you know, uh, if, if you, the 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 dynamics between the three characters never quite congeals into some of the some of the tropes that that well, you'd expect. Because it's impossible to imagine any of the three of them in a functional adult relationship. Exactly. Like even like Fran, maybe, but like even Fran. So Fran seems like Elaine from Seinfeld. If Elaine was incredibly incompetent and had no self confidence, mm-hmm. like there's no like Bernard. It, it, you can't. I cannot possibly imagine him in any sort of anything resembling a relationship. That's why Manny's so important. It's the only possible friendship connection he could ever have at this stage in his life. Manny is is kind of like a saint. He's like this very sweet, innocent childlike character. So yeah, it, you, you never really get that sense of, okay, who we're going to pair off just because that you don't really think of them in those terms. And it's, it's kind of terrific the way that works. It's sort of like when friends in its later seasons briefly tried, didn't they try to pair off like Phoebe and Joey or some stupid thing. Rachel I, I and Joey. I know, and... I know that because that, that was really dumb. They, no, like they, they, they hinted at Phoebe and Joey for like a moment when everybody else was paired up and then they didn't. They Paul did. Rudd showed up. <laughs> yeah, it, it just seems like it, it's it's like that only to the nth degree, where it just doesn't make sense for them to be. And it's all yeah, yeah, I agree. It is it is refreshing to watch a show like that where you don't. Um, I mean, I like the romance or the relationship in space, but um, it is very refreshing to watch a show like that where that's no real. Uh, I, I legitimately, and I, I am a person. I am a I, I ship at the drop of a hat, but I am a person who have been legitimately upset if at any point in this series they strongly try to suggest that Manny or Bernard was going to hook up with Fran. It's like, no, 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 no. That's not how this works. And, and have that be a positive, healthy thing. <laughs> yeah. No, 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 no. That, that That's the worst. That is the worst. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, for me, the part of the show that I, that I most connected with, that I had the most fun with was absolutely uh, Bill Bailey as Manny. 
because uh, I've seen I've seen him pop up here and there, uh, and I really enjoy some of his stand up. I want to say he has an extended bit about tritones, right? Doesn't he have an extended bit about tritones and their place in like church music and everything? Is this just me? I think I, he does. I, I am so sorry. I didn't even realize he was a stand. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> um, but he, and he's he's like he's in space as uh, Simon Pegg's character's boss at a mm-hmm. comic shop. He, he's he's been in a few things, but uh, that I've seen, but uh, and I've always enjoyed him. But I've never gotten to see a show that he featured in prominently. So I was very excited when he showed up in the first episode. And I was like, oh, I hope he comes. And then he did come back. It was lovely. Uh, <laughs> he's of of course my favorite episode is going to surprise no one. It's the music episode. It's the one where. Uh, Manny like teaches himself the piano. Explicitly. He already knew. He knew. He yeah. knew. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, it's it's just super duper fun, and it it builds in a really delightful way. Um, and, and just getting to see uh, get, getting to see Bill Bailey play is really fun because uh, of course he's also a musician. Uh, but but that for me that having that central. Uh, thread connecting everything in that episode gave it more cohesion and made it really stand out to me. Did you guys have particular episodes that stood out or, or, or um, I guess flights of fancy that the show went on? Uh, I, I think Noel already mentioned the, the big lockout was, was great. Um, I, that was, I, uh, cause that, that one has the two of the, cause like the, the, the plot was Peter Sarah Finowitz, uh, where she's just so turned on by his voice, but hates him as a human being. Um, that that's one of their best friend stories too. Um, so yeah, I, I'm trying to think, I, I, I will confess, I did not have time to rewatch the entire series. I had watched the first six and then I'd watched, um, parts of the set. Like I watched the series, part of series three and part of series two. So I probably am missing some stuff, but, um, yeah. Oh, there's, there's the, uh, oh, there's a, there's a good one where they have to teach a, a mob guy how to read. That one was pretty funny. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, yeah. No, do you have any other favorite favorites other than the one that I just tried to steal from you? No, no, no. <laughs> um, I also just really like the um, insanity that's involved in the Grapes of Wrath, mainly because I love the end of that episode so much. Um, this is where um, Manny and Bernard um, like house sit for this guy who's got a re- really great collection of wine. And they end up drinking one of his most expensive wines um, because they've gotten so hammered that they've forgotten ha- that they can drink from basically any of the not dusty wines. You no, know, it, it's actually it, the, one of my favorite parts of that episode is the fact that it's Manny's fault. Man, yes. It's not Bernard who gets confused. It's because Man, Manny, the, the, the guy specifically tells Manny, okay, don't drink these, drink these. And Manny, who is supposed to be the responsible one, gets like, confused. Let's go back to what, what Kate was saying about how the characters can all kind of play the chaos agent or the straight per, the straight guy role in any scenario. I thought that was one of the, like, it was a very clever touch where Manny is the one you're supposed to trust. You know Bernard would be the, Bernard would, would, would screw it up, but Manny is the one who is responsible for it, which is great. Sorry. No, 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 you're fine. No, it's a really good point to make. And so they screw it up. So they try to recreate this 7,000-pound wine that the man is going to present to the Pope. And he ends up presenting it to the Pope. And the punchline for the entire episode is this big newspaper headline that says, Pope killed by inferior wine, man held. And it's so funny and ridiculous because... The Pope got killed by an inferior wine, guys. <laughs> um, and then that episode also has Fran on a date, which is the most sitcom thing where she realizes her date is gay. Um, 
and I, it's a very sitcom-y type of episode, but again, there's just really good elevation type stuff, including like Bernard eating coasters that he thinks are cookies um, because his taste buds have been killed by cigarettes and wine that he can't taste anything anymore. <coughs> so yeah, that's another one of my favorite episodes. That's uh, Grapes of Wrath, I think. Yeah. Uh, Kate, did anything stand out to you? Well, uh, the, another one that I'll throw some love to is the Elephants and Hens from season three. Yeah. Uh, which has some delightful guest stars of Lucy Davis and Olivia Coleman in there. Uh, and who, of course, of course, pe- people will know Lucy Davis from the UK office and Olivia Coleman from everything recently because she's amazing. Um, but that one features a bet, like Frank goes off to uh, a hen party or a bachelorette party, uh, which we would call it in the US, um, with some of her, you know, like her school friends. And then and the guys are, they, they have a bet that, um, Bernard bets Fran that she's going to have a terrible weekend. It's going to be just horrible. And she bets them that they couldn't write a children's book. So then, of course, the party starts out wonderful until it goes too far with their beetroot <laughs> or whatever. It was something about a bleeding elephant. It was, yeah. Uh, they get a little too sauced and things take a turn. And then the guys do manage to write a very plausible children's book about an elephant and a lost balloon and then they burn it because it would they'd be too famous and then they'd have to try to reconstruct it the next morning and fail miserably it it, it it's very sitcom but just like the the specific build to the actual like children's book that they come up with is delightful and then them trying to piece it together the next day when they're sober also and very hungover also delightful i thought that one also had a nice like structure and build to it what where is the you guys really preferred the first season for me i like some of the the more goofiness and silliness of season two and and the beginning of of season three the end of season three didn't work as well for me but um particularly the finale but uh but but enough an episode like elephants and, and hens which is more heightened and more wacky did uh i don't know it works works for me i guess uh i, I don't know I, I i like those more uh typical sitcom beats that's, really, that's cool no I, I i actually no i think that's that's terrific i think it's great that to, to have those different um i actually figured an episode that none of us have mentioned yet that i actually really like uh, so I, I don't have to steal um <laughs> no uh no the the blackout which is also in the first season um, but the blackout has to me one of the perfect uh, summation of, is a very perfect summation of all the characters in that uh, Manny starts drinking espresso and he gets sucked into the story of where he thinks he's a cop and they, they start treating him like a cop and he gets brought into the police station and he's asked to interrogate help interrogate a suspect and we while Bernard, Bernard um, is trying to figure out he was invited over to some friends and he's trying to figure out why they gave him the brush off the next day the cold shoulder when they saw him on the street and he was so drunk he can't remember. And both of those, well, the Manny thing isn't that sitcom but the, the Bernard thing is, is a fairly sitcom. It's kind of a Seinfeld-ish sort of thing. But to me, and I don't want to spoil anything, but the, the payoffs to me are so quintessentially what I love about the show in that they build up to what you think is going to be this horrible, embarrassing situation. And in the end, it's just sort of like, eh, um, the, 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 like it's it, it, like like in Bernard's case, what he discovers is very embarrassing, but it's also sort of like eh, it's whatever. Like I, there's that feeling of um, I don't know. It, it's very. It's one of the things I find so comfortable about the show is these characters, it, it, as messed up as they are, they know who they are, which is always so 
it's so reassuring as a viewer because you, 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 one of the reasons you watch TV shows like this is because you want to watch people who, who are very distinctly themselves. You, you kind of like the world is confusing. You don't know who you are. Sometimes you don't know your life is going, but if you can go to these people who are always going to behave a certain way in a certain situation, it's very comforting. And, and to watch a show like this, where the characters are such messes there, like they, like, like the thing that Bernard discovers he did is, is pretty awful. And yet at the same time, he's just like, Oh really? That's it. That's fine. Um, and, and it's just, I don't know, to me, the, that is my, is the, the, the quintessential appeal of the show is that they can get worried about stuff but there's never the sense that any of that matters all that much, and, and, I, and I and I find that very very. It, it's weird. It doesn't diminish the comedy. You'd think it would actually make it less funny, but to me, it, it just sort of allows for them to go on these weird little flights of fancy and do whatever they want because you can always come back to who these people are. It's a really uh, that's a really great point, Zach, because it's 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 escapism in that sense. You get a sense of security watching it. But at the same time, it's not the kind of escapism you see in American sitcoms because nobody has money on this show. They live in a shithole. Uh, <laughs> they're probably killing themselves with their lifestyle. But like you say, say, say that 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 surety of who they are and that they are there's they're they they're odd oddballs. They're not going to get along with most people, which is why they need each other. But each person knows who they are and the other two in, in the, the circle of the three friends also knows and accepts and gives them a push when they need it, but isn't, doesn't try to change the others. And so that, that reliability of who these people are and of the, the idea that, that they found somebody else who can stand them, even if they're terrible, uh, can, that can be really, really reassuring without the gloss of, and you're not going to have any money problems and you're not going to have any health problems. And you're like, it, it's a very different take on sort of escapist TV since it comes. Yeah, no, agreed. Agreed. Well, do we have any final thoughts on, on black books? And I'll throw it to you first. Uh, just that if we've made it sound appealing and if I haven't ruined enough of the headlines, um, <laughs> literally and figuratively, um, that, um, it's worth checking out. Um, it's on Netflix if you're in the U S at least. And so really easy to get through it. Um, maybe you can alternate episodes with the fall or the crown and, you know, bounce yourself out. Um, but yeah, no, it's, it's a good show. Um, just make sure you have plenty of red wine on hand for it. This does feel like a good drinking show. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah, Zach. Uh, no, I, I, I will second. I, um, I don't know if it, I'm, I don't know if you would say this. I saw the whole, the whole show is currently available on Netflix, which is how I managed to get back into it. And it's very much, it's very, it's a very solid like Netflixy kind of show in that you just kind of put it on like, ah, oh, I don't really want, I don't want to watch. Oh, I'll just watch this. Um, and I just find it a very great uh, comfort food show. Um, I actually was shocked to realize this time I've watched the whole thing before. I and I was also I'm also a huge fan of Shaun of the Dead. I had never realized that Dylan Moran plays the the douchey uh, uh, room uh, boyfriend of Lu Lucy Davis's douchey boyfriend in Shaun of the Dead. Like this stuck oh, up. Oh yeah. If yeah. I, I had no idea the characters are so far apart. And yet, having watched now and realized, made the connection, I, I, it, you can actually see the, the performance. He doesn't change his performance that much. It's just different calibrations. But um, if you've seen, if, honestly, if you, see, if you like British TV, if you like British comedy, you're going to get a kick out of the show. And you're going to see so many people you recognize. Um, and it's just, and if you like books, 
honestly, it's it, it, they don't really talk about books a whole lot, but there's it, but just something comforting about seeing people hang out in the bookstore. It's just nice. Yeah. Well, and the idea that it's it's his it's Bernard's bookstore. It's his name. It's and they don't mention like oh it was a family bookstore and it passed it down to him or anything. No, apparently, at some point he was like, I know what I will do with my life. I will. I love books enough that I will open up a bookstore. And this is when we, we, when we meet them, he's just several years down that path. He's lost <laughs> any of that energy and enthusiasm, but it's not, he's not an old, he's not an older guy. Uh, he's a young guy. And so, the, so at some point he, he did well enough by himself that he could open up a book. Like, I love thinking about that element of, of, of the show of like, how this guy got to this point where we meet him, where he is so disaffected and you really would rather have to deal with any people. Why would you ever open a small business if you hate people? Um, <laughs> but no, it, it's, I do, I, I do think that that element of it is a lot of fun. And, and for me having, you know, not being aware of the show at all before watching it, I primarily know Dylan Moran as the, the, jerk boyfriend from Shaun of the Dead. <laughs> so I was like, oh, it's that guy. Oh, okay, that's cool. Um, so yeah, that that's 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 funny, Zach. Because uh, I, I could not see that immediately. And it's a very different, like you say, it's a very different character, but not a very different performance. So that's, mm. it's an interesting element as well. Hopefully people will check it out. And like we've said, it's only 18 episodes, so it's an easy one that, you know, put on, if you're just looking for just some relaxing and, and just fun time with a group of characters you know if you're looking for a new a new sitcom that's low commitment and and can be pretty fun then i think i think people will enjoy it so uh thank you for getting me to 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 fill in some more of my brit tv gaps zach it was a lot of fun you're welcome where can thank i listeners oh sorry as i interrupt <laughs> you <laughs> i was literally just saying the the thank you for having me on again i wasn't sure if we were doing the this is the end of the show so we have to say, <laughs> the thing to say at the end of the show. <laughs> well where can i listeners find you in your work online uh, I write for, typically I write for the AV Club. I am currently reviewing Westworld, The Walking Dead, and Designated Survivor, and those appear pretty much after the show's air. So if you want to read, if you're uh, watching any of those shows, and you would like to read my random and often sweary thoughts about them, just head on over to the AV Club. <laughs> you're you're watching and reviewing them, so we don't have to. Yay! <laughs> yeah. Damn right! Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Though, I mean, those are also some of the highest watched shows on TV right now, so... Maybe, yeah. maybe we're doing it wrong, Noel. But, but you're watching it, so I don't have to, Zach. I've My been enjoying your writing. <laughs> <laughs> well, that will wrap up our DVD shelf this week. And as ever, Zach, it's always a pleasure talking with you. Thank you for coming back on. Thank you everyone for listening, and we'll be back next week with another episode of the Televerse. Mm-hmm.